0: British Wrestling Spotlight on theIndyCorner.com. I'm Benno. And I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And we're trialling something here. This is the first of what we kind of see as a recurring progress special show we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at things in the promotion in long form. Uh, we're trying to maybe do this monthly in addition to maybe doing similar to Rev Pro, It's all in a trial mode at the moment, but the idea is maybe we can dig into the individual promotions a little bit deeper while still doing our, our usual spotlight shows for big weekenders like uh, 16 carat coming up this weekend and the fight club pro dtti coming up so you'll still get your normal spotlight stuff but maybe you'll hear our voices uh, a little bit more often um but yeah today we're going to review progress chapter 64 we're going to give our thoughts on the this is progress documentary as well as catch up with dale beaumont brown the director of the film to get his thoughts on uh, how things went with the the production of it but uh, before all that, gents, uh, how's things? Are you uh, still snowed in, in in Oxford? Are you uh, looking forward to getting away from England to Germany? We just don't know how to deal with all this awful weather, do we? Ah,
1: oh, uh, well, I haven't showered today because there was a burst <laughs> pipe in my clothes, and then I came <laughs> into oh, no. work early to use the work shower. When I got to work, and there was a burst pipe in the building at work with the shower, so. I'm in a bad mood.
0: <laughs> oh, perfect show for it. I mean, is it in Liverpool we've kinda of not been hit by the snow. We had a bit of snow in the week, but it was kinda of sad. I was sat in work seeing people all over the country get sent home, but we just had to stick it out because it was it's just never that bad here. I don't know if it's our, our placement in the country or what, but was it really bad down there? Was it
2: It got bad I think on the Friday in Bitcoin.
0: Thursday.
1: And that was bad enough, yeah. So we had a we had a couple of days off work, that was alright. But say days of work. I was working from home. Yes. Didn't exactly get much time off. I was working a uh, pedal to the metal for two days.
0: Not good stuff. So nobody was looting the, the local Lidl like was happening uh, in Ireland or anything like that. It didn't get crazy. I was at
1: Lidl at opening time this morning, seven fifty five, had to wait outside for five minutes. Some of the conversations that take place outside of Lidl at seven fifty five AM are baffling <laughs> to say the least.
0: <laughs> I miss out. Uh, well, we've only got a few more days of of that and work to go. Uh, we're headed to, to Germany on, mm. on Friday. Should be a hell of a weekend, shouldn't it? I'm a fan of WXW, but I don't catch all of the shows. This is going to be something relatively new for me, really, go, going into it and going in somewhat blind. Uh, JP, you've been doing some uh, WXW watching, haven't you, in the yes. uh, in the days running up to it?
2: Yeah, I have. Um caught up with the latest show that was on uh, put up onto the High Spots Network of um, Road to 16 Carat, which is uh, a really good primer. For a lot of people wanting to know exactly what's going on in the show and some of the storylines going into there as well, um, I mean we've got a, a very packed weekend of stuff. I get there on the Thursday, you guys get there on the Friday. Um, so we're, we're press gonna...
0: somehow JP somehow we've convinced people that we're we're press that we're, we're actual journalists. It's oh, kind of a God. shock to my system.
2: Yeah, it's 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 wrong. I mean, if they listen to this, then they'll just end up cancelling <laughs> their tickets and they'll see us for the chances that we are.
0: If they see us at the after party, JP, I think that's when it's uh, the, uh, the jig is going to be up.
2: Well, I'm just going to wear a hat with a little note in it that says "scoop" on it as well, <laughs> just to just to keep up the journalistic facade.
0: Hell yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're here today to talk mainly about progress. We'll uh, be covering all that WXW stuff uh, next week on, on a special show. Uh, but for now, yeah, progress. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk is the last chapter, Chapter 64 mm-hmm. uh, from Camden uh, on the 25th. Uh, just got onto VOD on Thursday. They're getting quite quick. We're getting uh, these things out. Thunder Bastards are go. The return of the uh, of the Thunder Bastard match. A fun show uh, I thought mm-hmm. um, there were some really good matches in there some interesting booking decisions in there and some story development I mean what did you both make of it as a show overall
2: um, as a show I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it It, for me it kind of carried on um, a sort of nice theme from what we'd seen at the, the Manchester show at, at chapter 63 is that right for the Manchester show That's right. Yep. Yep. And and that was and it was it was good fun, not without its issues, as we're no (laughs) doubt going to get into. But um, there are some storylines I think that are working quite nicely. I mean, one in particular and relating to the Thunderbastard match that I really enjoyed. Other some other stuff I thought um, they need to think about this and where it's going, and and it felt somewhat disjointed in some aspects. So uh, overall, a good show with some really good wrestling on it. But a mixed bag when it comes to the storylines. Mm.
0: Well, I mean, let's get straight into it. Yeah. then. I mean, example A of, of what you're talking about uh we opens up with match one, the uh, the anti fun police against uh, sexy star of uh, Jack Saxmith and David Starr. I thought it was a fun match, all in all, like a, a fun comedy opener for what it was. But yes. You've got your Victoria Warehouse headliner in here being involved. Jack Sexsmith, uh, as we talked about on our last show, is is headed to the big Victoria Warehouse show in Manchester as the number one contender. Um, I don't know, maybe start with uh, with you, Joe. I know you're not particularly high on these uh, comedy-style matches in progress. I quite like this one as an individual match, but I certainly thought it was a little bit problematic maybe having Sexsmith, who was supposed to be taken seriously as this number one contender, still messing around in these kinds of openers.
1: Yeah, I wasn't a fan of this one. I like everyone involved, but I I don't want to open a show with a match like this. I'd rather something kind of hot or maybe start with a women's match for me, um, give them maybe a better placement on the card. I thought this could have maybe gone on after the women's match would have changed the order around. I don't know. I find that a lot of progress crowds are too, like, willing and almost up for just laughing all the time and at times I find that that actually takes away from the overall show because if a moment of comedy occurs in a match people will just latch onto that for the whole match as if it's like the main crux of the match. And I know this is a comedy match but at the same time I know I'm sort of starting to get a bit tired <laughs> of the progress approach to comedy matches. I don't know what it is I really can't put my finger on it because I like comedy matches and I think they definitely got a place on a card, but I wasn't convinced that this was the place for this match, if I'm honest with you. And Sex with I thought, you know, maybe going forward from here, they're getting big wins going to the Victoria Warehouse show. I don't know, but I didn't think this was the best way to build a guy going into your biggest show outside of London ever, um, realistically. Mm. So not sure. I'm not sure if I like the Anti-Fun Police in progress either. Um, I think they work in Attack especially well, Fight Pro. Damien Dunn and his or his combination with Lord Gideon Grey Pro, and sorry, Red Pro also works really nicely. But something about them in progress I just feel is missing. They're not giving him promo time either. Mm-hmm. And I thought him having a promo here to get himself over a little bit more before the match, um, doing the whole no-funner thing, might have actually worked a little bit better in the match as well. So mm-hmm. that confused me a little bit.
0: I do kind of I see what you're saying because I do think to somebody who doesn't follow attacking the likes and you just turn this chapter on you'd be like well like who's the fat guy that's with Damian Dunn? There's no, it's kind of like what they did with CCK where they just parachute these guys in um, and you're expected to to understand who they are and how they fit the story. Um, I don't know, JP, what did you think of their involvement here and of the match as a whole?
2: Um, I thought. Uh, one of the aspects in terms of the comedy, and this kind of was really affecting on the commentary at times when there was just all you could hear was laughter.
0: Michael you, Cole style uh, oh, music. Like. <laughs> if you were there live,
2: I'm sure it was great because you probably heard what happened. But I couldn't make out at points what was so hysterical. Um, and and partly it was difficult to hear some of the exchanges, particularly between David Starr and, and Santos. And so I was kind of slightly confused. I imagine live it would have been it would have been great fun, pardon the pun. But at the same time, uh, I, I kind of didn't I didn't enjoy that part of it. And like I say, a promo at the beginning would have been really would have been really good fun. Um, mm. Like you guys, I've got. I mean, it was obvious who was going who was gonna win this one.
0: And I'm glad they did that as well, putting yes. uh, Jack Sexsmith over. It was kind of David Starr taking the heat, wasn't it? And at least yes. Sexsmith was the one that got the comeback. Mm. And it felt
2: like it was it was slightly different to what the the role of Sexsmith normally is, which is, you know, sort of beat down and then um, baby facing peril to go over and, and then make sure your partner gets the hot tags. So it was slightly different in that respect. Um, however, by the end of it, I got the you know the overall sort of things I came out of it was this doesn't you know the people there with the exception of David Starr aren't really what you'd want to be prepping your challenger to the as Joe said the biggest show outside of London that they will have done mm. and also by the end of it the post-match promo seems to be much more interested in a tag match against Haskins and uh, Haskins and Havoc team don't explain
0: this was Smith wasn't it on the promo after the yeah. match
2: and, and that was the thing that I kind of thought, okay, it, set, it felt more like that, that was much more of the focus than Chapter 69. And it isn't that far away. That should have really been the primary focus in all of this. And it does get mentioned on commentary, and it does get mentioned in the promo, but nowhere near the kind of emphasis that you would want your number, someone with a title shot of a big show should be having.
1: And what have they got? Two more ballroom shows. And, and New Orleans. New, new no more shows. Shows. Yeah, yeah, to build to the match. And is Sex with going in New Orleans? I'm not even too sure myself. So. I would imagine so. Yeah, I can't remember if he is or not. I don't know if he's been announced at all. Yeah. I can ch- I'll check in a minute. Um, but yeah, it just felt like a strange sort of direction to go. It's almost like they've got too many ideas and too many directions they're considering it felt to me like here, if they're considering going down that tag title route as well. But then I suppose they've just lost the tag titles. So are we going to get Sexy Star against Havoc and Haskins? And is the idea Jack Sexbeth's beaten two former champions going into victoria warehouse maybe if they go down a singles route and he beats havoc at one ballroom show and he beats haskins at the next that's mm, not nothing. the worst bill to the to the show i uh, don't mind that if they go in that direction but at the same time it feels more like they're going to go for a tag match mm. if anything so is sex we going to pick up a big singles win on the way into the show don't know
2: and it's almost like it's it, with with those kind of ideas and i was thinking much the same thing one of the issues that would be um, really, uh, I I find slightly um, problematic. Sorry, just trying to get my thoughts together here on this one. um, Is that it seems to be leading up to interference at the Victoria warehouse show between um, with Havoc and Haskins getting involved. If at this point, if they don't have the tag match beforehand. So, yeah, in a way, I would kind of prefer them to put the Havoc and Haskins stuff onto the back burner and have that, you know, have that come up as a later issue
1: later on in the year. Well, perhaps they're headlining with Flash Morgan Webster versus Jack Sexway for the Progress title. That's what we saw at the <laughs> end. And he's part of Vicky Haskins' uh, faction or whatever, Yeah part of it I don't know we're just speculating at this point but yeah
0: yeah
1: <laughs> I, we'll get to that I'm sure
0: I guess we'll see yeah so in that one Sexsmith got the win after double team German suplex uh double knees there and as we mentioned cut the promo but Havoc and Haskins afterwards so yeah I guess we'll uh wait and see which direction they go with Sexsmith but yeah time is, is certainly running out to make that Manchester main event feel uh, a bit more important <clears throat> uh Match two then, we got got Millie McKenzie against Charlie Morgan. Charlie Morgan coming out with a really bad creator theme that's still stuck (gasps) in my head uh, to this moment. Um, We were saying on uh, our last show, weren't we, JP, that she looked particularly bad in Manchester. We were quite critical of Charlie Morgan. I know you've been a fan of her in the past from... Eve work. Um, she seems a bit of a strange fit to be with Ginny, too. I mean, what did you make of this one on <coughs> a placement here? Were you any more impressed, or uh, is she maybe not, still not? I thought maybe she didn't seem as, as comfortable as she does in her Eve work uh, here in Progress.
2: Once she again. still doesn't seem as comfortable in her Eve work. She does in, uh, sorry, in, in her Progress work. She does in Eve. Um, I thought one of those things, and Joe had, had mentioned it before, was it was the same placement as the last women's match as well, second match in the
1: card. I think which, the last four or five shows, the women's match has gone on, and they've had one women's match, and it's gone on second, mm. second on each card for the last few shows. And there's always that
2: natural dip after the the kind of slightly more heated opener that then it kind of builds itself down. Um, I thought the finish here was terrible as well, and it was partly that um, – Ginny's interference was slightly mistimed as well. And so that kind of seemed to kill it dead. And then you combine that with the music afterwards and you're like, oh, my God, there's, there's so much kind of
1: like it felt like silence at that, mm, at that yeah. point. People are yeah. so desperate to be into the women as well and to have something that they can get from the women and want to see more of the women on the cards as well. But I don't know what it is. Like this women's division, I think absolutely sucks. If I'm honest, I think the matches, at, find me a good match of that women's division have produced. Honestly, I can't think of one. Like I, maybe, you know, I'm not thinking back far enough, but I just, I just think what they're doing with the women at the moment is really, really bad. And for a company called Progress, who claims to be progressive, we're getting one match second on the card. Second is kind of a position you can't really criticise on a card. It's a safe spot to put them in, but they're not booking women together who seem to get the best out of one mm. another. I, mm. don't, I don't know. I don't know. I it's a bit I all over the place.
0: Yeah, I kind of. I mean, I thought this was a bit of a nothing match, yeah. so mm. I didn't have a huge problem with it going on second because I don't know where else I'd put it. I mean, Millie McKenzie seems to be while Tony Storm's away, she's kind of filling. That role. So, part of me likes the, the, the setting up something of a, a secondary baby face to go against Ginny and a page inspired uh, three person <clears throat> group that she seems to be setting up. is four uh, now? Four now, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, we've got one more than WWE. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it was just for me a really. Nothing much. And, and like you say, if you're going to be trying to get this this women's division over. I like Millie McKenzie. I, I like yeah. the, the, the use in it. Um, but yeah, I wasn't particularly blown away here.
2: I was saying the crowd are really, I mean, the crowd are obviously very much behind, behind Millie McKenzie. I mean, a part of me was watching this thinking, ultimately, Millie McKenzie versus Tony Storm at Wembley. Is that huh. the, 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 the the direction as part of it? Because I think that would that would arguably, you'd get more from that than in terms of a passing the torch moment for Tony Storm. Um, than having a Tony Storm-Ginny match,
1: which, let's face it, we've seen a whole load of those. Yeah, they're always decent matches, to be fair. But Mm. yeah, it's not something that I'm interested in seeing at Wembley. And I think Millie McKenzie is the way to go. With Millie McKenzie, I think she's great for some of her experience level. And I love her offense. She's quite unique. um, And she stands out amongst the other female wrestlers. Like She's really got something. Mm. But sometimes I find that... She's been a little bit exposed in matches like this as well, where I'm not sure what it is, but she's not necessarily clicking with certain opponents. I think Charlie Morgan, I've not really been impressed with her at all, if I'm honest with you. Like I can't I really can't see what it is about her that with JP rates. Obviously I don't watch Eve. But at the same time, I've just not been impressed of her in progress so far. And this was another match where she seemed to lack confidence. She didn't seem to have a lot of presence in the match, and I wonder whether it's maybe her being a heel. Like, is she more effective as a babyface? Is she naturally more likable? I don't know what it is really. I wonder.
2: I wonder if there's there's an aspect of it of of being in the resistance gallery that plays mm-hmm. into this, where the crowd are very much kind of up on the ring. Um, it, they're, they're kind of it's so tightly enclosed, and there's that kind of level of intimacy, and maybe that's had some of an effect. Because obviously, at the ballroom and at the O2 in, in Manchester, you've got that bit more of a distance, and a lot of sort of stuff going on on the outside. But it doesn't. Yeah, it's that kind of level of intensity that I've seen from her and Eve is, is just not really pre- pre- present here. And also as well, if you're, you're wanting to build her up, it would have been nice to see a clean finish. Hmm. Um, and I kind of get the feeling that we're going to go down a route of seeing various Ginny-inspired screw jobs for a bit, which is,
1: isn't is something that kind of fills me with expectation. No, the faction you sort of said it before, I just don't get. The, it just seems like they pluck four wrestlers out of thin air to me and go, yeah, throw them together, that'll be all right. I, I, I don't know. Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. so as we mentioned there that one finished with the implant DDT off really weird Ginny interference where she kind of swung the boot once and then swung it twice and kind of messed it up but yeah a match that uh, I can't see being uh, particularly memorable when it comes to to end of year lists can Um, I just ask
1: did you guys see the last cockpit show from February and see her hit I can't think of it. it might have been Nina Samuels with her heel during that no oh right I'd recommend having a watch of that People started laughing, including myself, when she hit her with her heel. Like, the shot was so light and looked so bad. It looked, you know, like the Hulk Hogan uh, protected chair shots in the 80s to the back? It was <laughs> yeah. like that. It just reminded me of that. And yeah, people were laughing at it. It, it looked terrible. <laughs>
0: I think she's a much nicer person in real life, Jinny is, and than a character would we'll portray. Maybe she's just taking it a little bit too easy on her. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. Uh, speaking of taking it easy, then, uh, Mark Davis did not take it easy on his opponent in Match 3, Maverick Mayhew. Um, this was a match in the Natural Progression series. It was one of those matches where, when I saw it announced and I saw Davis on Twitter saying that he was going to uh, Walter uh, Maverick Fabric Mayhem, uh May- Mayhew, sorry, and, uh, and get him back. Uh, I was just looking at the, just looking at the photo of the two men and looking at the two of them in the ring together. I was just thinking that poor, poor little boy, all uh, 150 pounds of him. Uh, it looked like Davis had something to prove here, uh, and he was kind of. The aggressor here as opposed to what he was in in that Walter match. Uh do you think this I did I was a little bit concerned from the Walter match, considering Davis's one of his main strengths is how hard he hits, and he was made to look uh, like not ineffective, but not in the quite in the same league as Walter. But <clears> here, certainly, if uh, if you could say that he was maybe getting his heat back, at least when it comes to the hard strikes, he definitely got it here, um, and it, it could be a, an interesting little strand to follow if he, he keeps having matches like this where he gets to be the Walter in the scenario.
1: Yeah, and I think Walt is almost like the ultimate, as we spoke about last month, isn't he, when it comes to that sort of style and being able to hit hard. And, you know, I I think that match really made Davis as a star last month, but I'm hoping they do a return match at some point where he sort of can live up to Walt and all the rest of it. It seems like there's a natural story to tell of a second match, if anything. Um, I thought this was really good fun. I love matches like this. Mm -hmm. I love seeing uh, little guys playing the underdog. Sort of going on offense and having to kind of use the ropes and use their uh, agility and all the rest of it to overcome some of the size, I and mean, then just seeing the big guy kill him when it comes down <laughs> to it—that's always good fun. It's an easy formula, and I think that Maverick Mayhew's a really, uh, as far as young guys go, he's really good fun. I've always been impressed with him whenever mm. I've seen him live. Um, he reminds him and him and Mills both remind me of the Amazing Red, which is fine in my book. So. Mm. Really good fun, really easy to watch. Great finish. Right person went over.
2: Yeah, they they kind of this was the way to have this match, and and maybe there would have been something a bit more. Ga- I mean, there was a standing ovation for for Mayhew afterwards, which is really nice. And I didn't kind of and I think you really would have to have been there live almost to kind of understand why there was that kind of reaction from it. That's not to denigrate um, his performance at all, um, but he he did play his role. Down to a T, it was it was a really well booked and well put together match. It it made sense. It, it gave Mayhew enough without looking like completely weak, as if he was just going to be killed la someone by Scott Steiner in the early nineties. Um, and the um, uh, pickup pile driver from Davis at the end was absolutely oh, vicious.
0: Just the right, cleanest on. one he's hit, I think.
1: Yeah um, Right on his head it's Probably the easiest one he had to, He's had to hit That's well <laughs> true Looking at the size Of the poor kid
2: um, But you, you know At least with, with Mayhew That he is really Coming on board and, and, and this is someone I look forward to seeing In sort of a variety Of promotions Throughout 2018 Gaining a bit more Experience Perhaps I mean it would be certainly good to have him alongside Connor Mills as a kind of regular tag team that would be the 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 way you'd like to see see him go there, but he did really well here, and Mark Davis didn't lose anything by this, mm-hmm. and i'm I'm hoping that what they're going to end up doing with Mark Davis is that he is going to go on a kind of a bit of a tear mm-hmm. over the next few months, build himself up to going right i'm going going to have a title match with Walter and it's I can imagine that just
1: being all manners of viciousness. The thing is with um, Mayhew and uh, Mills and Mayhew as well is they've kind of got a good act down at the moment because they can be killed <laughs> by kind of the established guys. But then one of the things I thought was really established quite nicely with the flash pins as well. Yes. So it's one of the things that you know that eventually they're going to get an upset win over someone, or one of them's going to get an upset mm-hmm. win, and all the rest of it. And you know that it's coming at some point. And when it comes, people are going to explode for it. It's going to be a really great moment. So I think for the next while, you have them play this underdog role where they get beaten the crap out of, but at the same time can have competitive matches when they're maybe facing the younger guys who are a little bit more inexperienced, hone their craft on those dome shows if they can get around. We've seen them in IPW Live before. But at the same time, they've got a role to play in progress at the moment that I think is a a good role for them experience-wise. But also in terms of being able to make other people look good as well because Davis a lot awesome here and they can really take a beating which is great can also say as well I, th- I find it interesting with um with mayhew
2: and also for for Mills as well where the sort of emphasis is on their work at this point so we've seen from other kind of progress original talent that the focus has always been on the character and right less of yeah. work here and here mayhew was able you know for his age as well, there's always going to be little kind of timing issues, but he was, you know, very, very smooth as well, but he didn't have this kind of, I'm going to fall back on the shtick of a character. But when it actually comes to when the bell rings, like it's going to kind of ultimately die a death and look kind of a little bit kind of odd and, and lethargic. And you didn't get any of that here. So I'm hoping, I mean, for me, there's, there's stuff that's almost reminiscent with what's, Happened with the likes of the Curtis Chapman in Red Pro and, you know, seeing other young teams around the country that actually done Kelly Six and, um, and obviously with, with Connor Mills as well, where you've got this kind of really interesting, um, set of very young talent. I say very young, you know, sort of under the age of 22, 23, all of these guys and they, and their work is kind, is getting there. And they seem to be getting a lot more, more bookings around the UK, especially a lot in London. There's a lot of sort of small London indies that seem to have been set up as well. So they're only going to get better as they go on. And it was the right time. This isn't the right kind of natural progression tournament for them to be kind of yeah, getting, getting on. So, mm-hmm. it, it, but, they haven't, but they've not But they gained so much by being
1: there. Do you know what they could do? And this is me thinking way ahead. Give it a year. Next natural progression. They had that match that everyone loved at the Dome Show. Yeah final of the next natural progression, you never know where you're going to be in a year. But it's just a theory. Or they could have a match, like the semi-final or something. It could be the next match they have together in progress. There's a story to tell there with their rise and them establishing themselves and the rest of it. Yep.
0: They're Osprey and Robinson, aren't they? That's basically what they are. Yeah, yeah, They are, yeah, in a way. Yeah, that's... some point, one of them will show maybe a bit more character than the other, and maybe we'll uh, that'll be a feud that we'll see on on main shows. But yeah, I don't want to get away either from from Mark Davis again. Mm-hmm. A strong win for him. Uh, hopefully they're going to continue to tell uh, this story of him just battering a load of people and making his way back to to Walter eventually Um, but yeah moving on to to match four then uh, speaking of stories uh, so good they did it again Uh, James Drake and Zach Gibson against Jimmy Havoc and Mark Haskins I mean I don't know what your reaction was when soon as I saw this match being announced after we trounced the Manchester match last month these two heel teams who nobody could really even want to cheer there was a a point where the crowd were chatting none of these guys guys. And I have to agree. Um, this is not a match that, that anyone was clamouring for, was it? No,
2: certainly not Not twice over, two, over the last two shows.
0: What do you think yeah. the reason is? Do you think they were stuck? I know there's rumour of a, a Jimmy Havoc injury. Um, can it be excused? Is it just the fact that they don't have any other teams? I just don't really know what's going on here.
1: They had a multi-man match, maybe? Like mm. four-team match and put it on them in that way? I don't know. I don't know. Oh yeah. Which
0: teams though, that's the problem, isn't it? Who've you got? Once you've already announced that Mark Davis and Maverick Mayhew are in that natural progression series match, that takes two teams out. There's mm. no one else. And that's the problem, isn't it?
2: It is. It's it's by far I mean, I will say that the the way that um, the grizzled young bets kind of end up in these scenarios, they do kind of make the best of these bad situations, I find. Yeah. And when when Gibson does the promo after the match, when, when Jimmy Havoc's been taken away and and he's, and he's been injured. Um, and then you ended up with a kind of much more natural heel-face dynamic with Haskins coming in and battling by himself. And at
1: that point, he kind of picked up slightly for me, even though I knew where it was going. Yeah, the power of a Gibson promo. <laughs> it is the power of a Gibson promo. <laughs> None of these guys. Then as soon as that happens and Gibson cuts a promo, Mark Haskins is over like it's July two thousand sixteen all over again.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it, having a go at his family and calling Jimmy Havoc a parody, which is something I definitely agree with. Um yeah, it was kinda of like we got to see Haskins, didn't we? Be in that in that uh, again, I think like like JP said, and I think I said on the night on Twitter at the time, I think This was the only way that you were getting a babyface in the match. You take Jimmy Havoc out, Haskins has to fight on his own. And yeah, like you said, Joe, it was like a a bygone era with Haskins as the underdog getting... Big responses for for all of his big spots. It kind of made me wish for maybe if Havoc is out, we get to see Haskins maybe as a, maybe as a face, but with a bit more of a an edge to him with maybe yeah. Vicky Haskins by his side. That could be something interesting because, yeah, I think Haskins wasn't that interesting as a baby face in recent times in progress and not been particularly very interesting as, as a heel in this team with Havoc.
1: No, but again, we're going to say it, and we say it on every podcast. What are they doing together? Why are they together? What is this? Team don't explain. Yeah, I'm going to put it out there again. Ginny's team is exactly the same. We've put a faction together. Why? <laughs> we don't know. Why did Charlie Morgan join that faction? Dunno. Like, it's all a bit kind of, yeah, thrown together. Why the hell not?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see them at this point... Keep the belts on the grizzled young vets for a, for, a, for a while. They're thinking
0: no, about China, aren't they?
1: And it makes it. What, what was ultimately the point of the yeah.
0: title
1: title switch in Manchester? I thought they were doing really good things with the belts. To be honest, I thought Gibson had managed to sort of single-handedly get Drake over in many ways yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't understand why they took it off at the time, and I wondered whether that China trip was the reason. When is that China trip? When are they going? I think it's this month. I think it's the middle of this. Month. Yeah.
0: I know there's a lot of guys who are over there now at the moment, and I think they're coming back. I think and there's like a and the likes of Gibson and uh, and Drake ahead now. So I think that's the set. Of it, so anyway.
1: realistically, they're going to miss the March progress show, and then they're mm-hmm. on the New Orleans show. So they're not really going to they would have maybe missed a show. So surely they didn't take it off take them off because they were going to China. Who, who knows?
0: I think it just wasn't very well thought through, was it? I think it was just... They were in a panic, and they kind of... (laughs) Ongoing theme there, isn't there? Yeah. That's it. And they kind of left it to the wrestlers to to sort it out. And as JP said, I I enjoyed... I mean, the finish of the match was Jimmy Havoc coming back out and getting a hot tag, and then just taking the finish straight away, taking the ticket to ride. Um, I kind of enjoyed that as a spot, I thought. Mm. For a mess of progress's own doing... I did think this was was quite clever as a match, um, even if again, yeah, the the booking was quite a mess going in. Mm-hmm. So moving on, then the next match we got the j- debut in Jonah Rock versus Zach Sabre Jr. Jonah Rock lost the progress fan vote to uh, get a, an automatic world title match on his first progress show uh, but what we did get instead was a was a really really strong match we're getting to see in progress zach sabre jr is still relatively pure unlike the the heel that he plays in most other the promotions he's got that excellent theme that uh, joe's a big fan of um <laughs> and i thought this was a, a good uh, exhibition uh, Zack sabre jr match and a, a good debut for Jonah rock i don't know about you guys
1: uh, yeah i thought the match was decent um you could tell there was a bit of chemistry there as well. Um, I'd heard about their matches before and sort of had them touted as if they were really great matches. I've not really, se- I've not really seen a lot of Jonah Rock. I can only think of one time I'd seen him before, and that was in PWG, and I thought he looked decent when I saw him. Um, what I will say was, I actually was a little bit disappointed with him. I think that uh, there's a a lot of hype about him going around people were losing their shit when this match was announced whereas i think there are significantly better guys of his size that i've seen around on the scene recently and i sort of questioned was he worth the flying cost i don't know um I, I, people tend seem to like him so he's doing something right but I just didn't think that he had the same presence as a lot of the other big guys. Yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of see that.
2: I mean, there was, there was, there was a lot of hype for him coming in. I mean, for me, I'm kind of thinking that he'd need an extended period of time over here, given the quality of, of people there are to work with. And that would be the thing that would take him up to our next level, I suppose. Um, and I thought Matt Richards did a really good job on commentary here. And I'm going to bring up the commentary a couple of times during this. Um, in terms of being able to fill in some of the story gaps in terms of the the work he did in Japan with um, the mighty Don't uh, now TM61. Um, And there was, you know, there was a a lot of the crowds had seen him and certainly heard of him. So there was, you know, there was some, there was a good reaction from the crowd as well. They were just willing to kind of take to take to him straight away. Um, Not as great a match as you, as we've seen from Zach this year, who I mean, we've been singing his praises ever oh, since. I think the he's having an year. amazing year. He is having a yeah. am-
0: high standard, isn't it? But oh, it's this isn't himself. bad. But it's, it's not just a good man. Yeah, it's not the.
2: It's not the top end of what's yeah. on this year, obviously, but that's not going to be easy, easy to do at
1: all. You could tell he really wanted to get Jonah Rock over as yeah. well with the, with the fans. Like some of the
0: bumps he was taking, just oh, sh- he was bumping all over, wasn't he? There was like yeah. he hit a couple of strikes, and Jonah to kind of step back. And as soon as Jonah hit him with one, it was that big man, little man psychology, wasn't it? Like, Saxeba was just flying absolutely everywhere. So he's definitely putting the effort in.
1: Yeah, most definitely, and I think Zach seems to really be on a tear, and he seems to really want to prove something maybe to himself and to everyone else this year. Mm -hmm. For me, I know it's early days, he's been my favourite wrestler of 2018 so far, I think. Um, I'd like to see these guys again, I'd like to see more of Jonah Rock, obviously we'll be seeing him at WXW this weekend, won't Mm -hmm. we? Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I wasn't blown away by him, I've got to say, and I was led to believe that by a lot of other guys who were talking about how great he is, that he was a little bit better than maybe we saw here. So looking forward to seeing a little bit more of him to see what else he's kind of got in his arsenal, if anything. It'll be interesting if he's doing kind of similar to the Alan Brooks situation, spending
2: a couple of years here. I mean, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, he, he seems no to be a lot there. of
1: guys. Yeah. That Sean Custom guy has now yes. got a visa as well, hasn't he? If you um, is there someone else, Robbie Eagles is he coming over as well? I think Robbie Eagles is coming over.
2: Yeah. So I mean it's it's but I think there's obviously the limitations of what he would have been working the people he would have been working with on a regular basis in Australia and New Zealand and now being able to come over and work with a different set uh, of guys who are ultimately giving a bit more experience and a bit more rounded in their work as well. And hopefully that'll be the thing to take him there. I tell you I wouldn't mind seeing sort of him and a him and Walter in a Atlas title defence as even a kind of I don't know, as a kind of placeholder until we get to Davis Walter as well and even Davis Jonah Rock would be Mm. probably good good fun as well proper big
1: I wondered if introducing him against a big guy would have been the best way to go um, yeah. that kind of big man versus big man offence over and I think at the moment having kill like, Roy Johnson or something yeah I mean like a guy who works like big man st- a big guy works big guy sort of style but at the moment I think obviously being a big guy and that big guy style seems to be really kind of fashionable in British wrestling and people get really excited over it so maybe that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons Jonah Rock was hyped by a lot of others in the way that he kind of was so I wondered whether there could have been more of that kind of I remember the first time I saw Walter at the ballroom was against Rampage Brown and he got over his seconds because they broke the ring (laughs) Yeah, and it was amazing (laughs) and there wasn't that obviously they're breaking the ring but there was a real impact in that match and some of the points of impact were there because they were doing power moves against one another and trying to, you know, shoulder tackle one another down or the rest of it. And it was a great way to build Walter against that guy who'd kind of an established as the big guy in progress already. So I wondered whether there was a bigger guy they could have put him in with, maybe, but hey, it was still a decent match. Um looking forward to seeing a bit more of Jonah Rock really.
0: Definitely. I think he'd be a good fit for the super strong star going forward. Yeah. Um, it's just something different, isn't it? You can offer something different to Brit Rares. I love that the the Aussies just give us their best. They give us our best wrestlers. They gave us home and away. They gave us neighbours. It's, uh, it's a good relationship we've got going there, don't you think?
1: Prisoner cell block H.
2: <laughs> Even Millwall got Tim Cale back, so...
0: There you go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that match, uh, Zack Sabre Junior won with the the ankle lock, but it could have been as with all Zack Sabre Junior matches, any submission of his fancy. A good, uh, good big man, little man match there, but yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll see better from Jonah Rock in future. Uh, moving on, then we got the big Thunderbastard match. Uh, hmm. I don't know what you think about the Thunderbastard concept. It, maybe it's worth talking about that first before we get into the match. I've never been a huge fan. I think they kind of build it up like it's this great concept. I thought. The Thunderbirds countdown was a bit much as oh, well for oh, me on yeah. this. <laughs> Fucking
1: killed me. Let's <laughs> talk a- about humour in progress. It's that shit that I mean. Like, uh, ducktails before the show, ironic, hilarious, <laughs> wow. Like, it just <laughs> took me out of the match points. Like, all I could think of was those annoying progress fans that I despise. Um, being like, oh, it's the Thunderbirds feature. <laughs> it's funny, Yeah. Obvious, like, ah,
0: oh, sorry. <laughs> Ran Even over. the wrestlers look confused though. Did nobody had played? Like, is that someone's entrance? No, no, it's just well, it, it slowed down through. the count.
2: Yeah. Now, if you watch things like the Royal I mean, obviously we yeah, there's a there's a thing called the Royal Rumble. And it and it's quite interesting. I mean, like, obviously one of the things I love about the Royal Rumble is the crowd doing the countdown from exactly. ten, down to one, and then you hear the buzzer, and then you hear the music, and they come out. And I love that. Here mm. It was like all of a sudden it got taken down by this kind of like, Oh, look what we've got here, this this Thunderbirds parody, which kind of was like
1: what? Glenn screams goes in there with that
2: shit. Yeah, yeah, it really <laughs> it, it, it was and so I yeah, I, I wasn't a particular fan of that. And I have to say as well, obviously they'd had the issue where the sounds booth had been taken away. Um mm. but that didn't seem to make too much much of a difference as well, so they had it projected onto just what was standard um uh, uh, board up against the wall so it, it, yeah it was a it was a strange f- i can understand
1: when talking about it it seemed like a really
2: good idea
1: but it, it's, i made a point earlier about how often at times progress fans will latch onto comedy during serious matches so like figures Zach gibson and there might be an utterance of wail well, and then at times it can actually just be a bit annoying and it's like this is funny but at times just let the guys get on with it because it's not the time for comedy and the crowd will often detract because they found something to latch onto comedy wise right I remember the Roderick Strong shitty little boot swing actually killing my enjoyment of matches. Katie like, Harvey and the sleeves. Ah, oh, don't. Like, do it a bit. It's a bit funny, but come on. Don't kill the match and take away from the match. And it was, I felt like it was almost sort of um, rewarding and almost sort of guiding that form of behaviour, if anything. So fair enough in a way because you know your fan base and you know that your fan base might enjoy that kind of shit humour. But at the same time, like do you want your fan base to take away from the wrestlers in the ring doing matches by guiding them to do the stupid chants and to, I don't know, whatever. But, it, yeah, I did not like that at all. That's my biggest complaint about the match. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think it's kind of like taking that criticism on board. It's a good example of the progress that we've got here in 2018, this match, just in a, in a, in a vacuum, you kind of yep. look at it. Best thing in the match was Eddie Dennis, which, who is the best thing in progress at the moment. Yep. Um, and everything else was just, I don't know, um, it wasn't the strongest. I mean, we'll start with the positive, I suppose. Eddie Dennis was, I was surprised to see him be so physical in the match. I'd love to know what the the story is there. He has gone for a, his, a, his scheduled surgery, but yeah he, was, yeah, he was big into the match, and it's by far the, the most interesting story that I've, I'd say progress was told in years. Um, I thought he was really great here. I did think there was a, a touch missing again. Talking about a, like you know progress in a vacuum, it was. The commentary, there was points where they were saying, well, where Glenn Joseph was saying, well, I'm not going to tell the whole story about how Eddie Dennis got in this match. You'll have to go watch the video on YouTube. And I do think that it, unless you've seen those videos, you'd be watching this match. I mean, when, when this lineup came out, just, you'd be scratching your head going, why is Eddie Dennis in this match? Um, they told a great story with it. But yeah, it, it did seem a little bit odd that they, they didn't go a bit further. And uh, maybe, maybe even just including the videos here in the chapter would have made that land a bit more because the actual execution of it all was great. Um, I just think, yeah, maybe that extra bit of production might help.
2: And you can put it on the VOD. You may you don't need to necessarily play it in the live venue at the
1: time, but you know that's that's the whole point of post production. And I think those kind of video clips in. When they've done like video production pieces to show in the venue, they seem to do a really bad job of it. Think of that epic uh, build-up package we got for that epic triple threat that we were all really psyched for in Manchester, like. It was rubbish. <laughs> no one was really looking forward to that match, and it just seems so simple to throw um, what were some really good promo segments into the show in some way, or to just show condensed highlights of it before the match. And it's going to get people up to the match. It's going to show what the story is going into the match as well. Mm. You could do a montage piece with those segments making up the bulk of that montage piece amongst ever wrestlers. Mm. And it, yeah, I just thought they missed an opportunity there.
0: I thought, I mean the. Just before we move on on the Dennis stuff I would say the, the highlight of the match was probably him uh, clearing the ring waiting for, for Mark Andrews to come out looking so happy and they're getting rolled up by oh, yeah. I mean, Dave, Dave O'Neill friend slash enemy of the show <laughs> mentioned uh, on Twitter that he's put uh, Eddie Dennis <clears throat> over um, I don't know if I'd go that far what do you two guys think would you have done that maybe left Eddie Dennis with a title shot in his back pocket uh, for, for in the future while he does take time off for these I,
2: I don't think so um, I think that's something that they can get back to after this this Andrews feud. There are
1: enough bloody people with title shots yeah, his, in this company. And his you think about his focus of the match. His focus in the match wasn't getting a title shot. His focus of the match was getting Mark Andrews. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to see You know, him not have that focus on winning the match, and then pay for not wanting to win the match, and for wanting one person in the match. And it's sort of good that because he was kind of trying to manipulate the match to what he wanted it to be to get his moment with Andrews. And as a heel character, surely it's quite good to see, you know, the heel. Get you know the egg splat in his face every time, like yeah. from time to time. And I thought they did that really well here. Um I thought that stuff was some of the best I've seen in progress in a long time.
2: Yeah,
0: I totally agree. Of
1: course, I said it was
2: another little bonus add-on to this. At this point in time, we actually had Matt Richards doing the commentary by himself, and he's <laughs> really, really good. And we could hear him because that was a kind of constant theme throughout the show that he was. you it's yeah. difficult to hear Matt Richards. You could hear Glenn, no fear on that front. <laughs> But you, but like you could hear Matt Richards here and he was, he was, he he was able to talk through it. It was nice. It was calm. It was like, Oh, thank God. I haven't got a screaming banshee in the ear, um, (sighs) during this. Um, so, and that for me kind of added to that whole piece because Glenn was out there trying to get Eddie to go backstage once he'd been eliminated. Um, and there was some, I mean, overall for the match, there was, a lot more that I liked about it than the bits that I was uncertain about, which is really sort of some of the ending sequence Mm -hmm. and, and the way that TK Cooper was, was, was nicely built up here. Um, I kind of like that as a bit of a bit of a rehab job in a sense, sort of taking him away from the, the Travis Banks aspect as well. I'm kind of almost fine with him and Brooks. Um, like it was weird, And, you know, you've seen reports about this, about like one of the the detrimental effects it's had on Travis Banks' title reign. But I was kind of fine with those two. I liked him getting his um, sneaky roll-up pins, which means at this point we should sort of go through the eliminations because otherwise it wouldn't make any sense. Um, But, yeah, yeah. Overall, one of these matches where, I mean, I I kind of enjoyed it from a storyline perspective. But there were issues about it towards the end.
0: Mm. I mean, the, the, the elephant in the room, the thing we haven't brought up yet. I'm not going to go through uh, all of the eliminations in the match, but match ended with uh, Flash Morgan Webster via Vicky Haskins' distraction, uh, later getting a roll-up on, on Tyler Bate. Firstly, I wasn't expecting Tyler Bate and Flash Morgan Webster to be the last two when mm. I saw the line-up here. Uh, I think Flash Morgan Webster's stale as anything in progress, really. I'm not a big fan of him at the best of times, never mind the the loser, the the progressive kind of booked him as uh, for this long now. Uh, What do you think the end game is here with Flash Morgan Webster? And what did you think of those two guys being the last two?
2: Change the the gimmick, change the entire mod gimmick stuff now. Mm. It it feels very, very passe. It was passe in the first place. It's now uber
1: passe at this point. Yeah, I don't think he's... Bad in the ring by any means Mm. but i don't see him as a main event guy and he's not someone that i want to see headlining shows really um at this point so i don't know he just hasn't really been over in progress to the level he was since he came back from that injury what a year ago Mm -hmm. and they've really not done the best job with him and just winning this match doesn't automatically rehab him to be honest and when matt riddle has just lost a main event Against Travis Banks, it's Matt fucking Riddle, and then you've got Flash Morgan Webster out there as the next challenger. It's kind of like, yeah, <laughs> it kind of feels like going from I don't know, um, a Carter to Jay White. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, before we go further, I mean, you're talking big challenges and, and big guys in progress. Uh, breaking news as we record here, progress have just announced of chapter 65. Doug Williams is going to be taking on the retaining Valhalla, Rob Lynch. I mean, oh. Do you think uh, we might get Valhalla in the title uh, exchange here? Uh, Valhalla, Rob Lynch is back, but no James Davis. How weird.
2: As long as he's wearing his Primark's finest for this match as well. Valhalla, Rob Lynch.
0: I can I not confirm in the graphic he seems to be wearing a lovely black jacket that is definitely uh, Primark's finest. It's. It's no. It could be Assos, but no, I don't think it quite hits that level. Wrestling. you excited for that one, Joe?
1: Oh, yeah, wrestling's best hitman, Valhalla, Rob Lynch, <laughs> and his uh, hitman, Rettenden, Land Rover, 1996 murders, <laughs> whatever it was in Essex, looking great. <laughs> I like to think he's doing a Rise of the Foot Soldier gimmick, but we'll find out.
0: <laughs> uh, anyway back to the show uh, I mean that's pretty much it on the Thunderbastard match any other thoughts on the match at all uh, yeah I thought
1: as a match it was solid like it was quite good fun um, mm. there have been better Thunderbastards. I quite like the concept of the Thunder Bastard there have been Thunder Bastards that I've really enjoyed and there have been Thunderbastards Bastards that I've Kind of felt like this one on where I sort of think there are good moments. There was one a couple of years ago that I was there live for. Um, I can't remember who won it, but it was a really star-studded Thunderbast with Marty in with Osprey. There's some great segments of Marty and Osprey. I think Paul Robinson was in there as well. Flash Morgan Webster was in there. That was a really great match. That was one of my favourite matches of that year. I remember. Whereas this wasn't necessarily a great match. It was a fun match, but at the same time. It felt like there was a lot of nothing going on at points, and there was a lot of stuff that I don't know if it's going to lead anywhere. Um, Hopefully, we see some with TK and Brooks stemming from this, Mm. but are we going to see some with Tyler and Flash stemming from this as well? Hopefully, we are. I understand why they're still booking Pete Dunsay, but and he did some really good stuff in the match, I thought. But at the same time, you kind of knew what was going to happen. It was that little bit kind of predictable. I suppose you can do that in a multi-man match as well and get away with it. But at the same time, where is he going in the promotion as well at this point? It doesn't seem like they're starting any feuds with Pete Dunn. It just seems like he's going to be there as a special attraction, which is fine. But at the same time, he's just kind of biding his time there, it seems at this point.
0: Uh, next up, then, we got our, our main event, uh, Travis Banks and Matt Riddle. Uh, Travis Banks going on last, which I was glad to see. I kind of thought with the Thunderbuster match, they might be attempted yeah, to stick him in the middle of the show, but there's more issues at play for, for Travis Banks than, than just that, I'd say, at the moment of progress. He's our babyface champion, and the, the title reign started so well with m- great matches, and this was another great match. Uh, but it does just feel like he, he's got a lot of things uh, against him right now. He's getting booed by certain subsections. There was definitely a, a good chunk of the crowd that were very into the idea of Matt Riddle uh, taking the belt here. I think the TK Cooper and, and Chris Brooks stuff has, has definitely maybe overcomplicated a title yeah. lane that I wouldn't have said uh, needed it. A great match in the vacuum, but uh, quite a lot to, to get into here, guys, I'd say.
2: Yeah, loads to get into. Um, yeah, there's, it's, it's the effect clearly of what's happened as soon as the storyline aspect was kind of introduced into the Travis Banks title reign is where this seems to have, have kind of fallen down in terms of his fan support. It's, it, it it's not really, I mean, I, for why the audience has turned on him, I mean, this isn't something necessarily that you can, Really put on Travis Banks. It's not like the matches he's had have been necessarily weak, and even the the triple threat in Manchester was was fine for what it was. Obviously, we were all very down on the storyline here. It's just that I that seemed they've seemed to have sort of taken some of the shine off him. And my fear is because obviously he's retained the belt at the end. There were a couple of big spots in it that I wasn't a big fan of, particularly the. Um, second rope tombstone pile driver which should kill you <laughs> really he
0: gave it a second and it was like riddle gave it an extra second before going for the pin do you think maybe that's part of it that the travis maybe kicks out at a few too many things like that it was somewhat of a, a limp kick-out, at least uh, yeah. Do you think maybe that's that's playing into it that he's i mean i think he, he, he tell he sells so well that he kind of I like him being in this scrappy champion struggling yes. to hold on and just about kicking out, but I don't know. Do you think the JP, maybe that was maybe those types of things are a touch too far?
2: I think they are, and I was going to ask you the, the same question. Do you think, I mean, I, what I'm worried about happening with this, and I can understand how it will go in this direction, is that you end up with Travis Banks as the scrappy champion who ends up doing anything he can to hold on to his belt, and at the end, you had the, the, the really nice shot of him kind of face down on the belt, clutching onto yeah. it.
0: That that shot was everything. And I love that. Riddle
2: looking livid. Yeah. Um, that was that was something that made me think, are we going to get into the idea where he's, he's just going to do anything he can to get onto it? Because I still think you can have him as a face champion doing that, of being mm-hmm. someone like, I've worked so hard to get this belt. I am not going to lose it. And... I wouldn't normally say I'm a particular fan of this style of booking, but I think there's a part where, with the crowd, that element of the crowd that are booing, I'd be almost tempted to ignore them and just not humour them on this. There's
0: a man in uh, Stamford, Connecticut who uh, (sighs) who thinks like that. I have it. That's my
2: fear, yeah. I saw
0: someone say on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, said that this is what... You know, certain fans think WWE do with Roman Reigns that's what Progress are doing with Travis Banks that feels a bit strong for me but are yeah. the parallels there?
1: Well at the same time the WWE are trying to prime Roman Reigns to be John Cena now Travis Banks I don't think is promoted by Progress as their biggest star is he at the end mm, of the day? True now At the same time, you think about where his matches have been going on. They've not been going on last. He's not been the main event on certain shows as well. Has that maybe made him seem less important? Mm -hmm. I don't know, quite possibly. Then you've got the TK stuff and you've got the Chris Brooks stuff. Now you've got Chris Brooks, who's got the CCK brand behind him. Everyone loves Chris Brooks. He's kind of a, you know, very fashionable at the moment. He's got that brand behind him, which I think is a lot more powerful than people realize at times. Um, You've also got the whole Lycos thing, which has got the edge of humor. I actually think if you've got some sort of edge of humor in your act at the moment, it actually does so much for you because a lot of the fans there are desperate to, you know, like I've said many times in this podcast, invest in some element of comedy on these shows. T.K. Cooper is a guy who's really popular with that ballroom crowd as well. And I think people really wanted to see him get somewhere. But Mm. I think they damaged Travis Banks by firing their load too early on this and pushing TK into a position that he really hasn't earned, if you ask me. Mm. But the fans at the same time are so invested in the Progress brand that he represents Progress in such a big way. And they're so invested in the CCK brand as well. But Travis Banks doesn't really have a brand so much for them to invest invest in. I love Travis Banks. I think he's great. I love mm, wrestling. I'm not necessarily buying into brands. It's why I never buy – I've always made a point of never buying the prom, the, a T-shirt of a wrestling promotion because as much as I enjoy the brand, I don't want to buy into the brand. I want to buy into the wrestlers, if anything, and what that brand are providing with the wrestling. Mm. Um, so for us, I think we all have a similar mindset. We are into Travis Banks as a wrestler – we want to see good wrestling. I think they were doing a really good job with his title reign, having him be that defending champion, having him have good matches. As soon as they start transitioning his matches into a more story focused approach, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work to his advantage because it doesn't highlight the positives of him as a wrestler. He is a wrestler that thrives having good matches in situations. You think about how TK Cooper got over. He got over as part of the South Pacific power trip when they started having absolutely killer matches that Travis Banks was a vital part of. Travis Banks kicked the shit out of a lot of the opponents. TK Cooper sold a load. Travis Banks took a great hot tag at times, right? They got over big time after that ring camp match last year. What a great match that was. They started having great matches in the US when they did the uh, Mania tour last year as well. So Travis Banks got over from having great matches. He didn't get over because he was involved in really intricately laced stories. And I wouldn't call these intricately laced. I'd actually call them lazy and rushed, if anything. Now, I'm going off on one here, and I'm talking a lot. But think about the Eddie Dennis, Mark Andrews stuff that we saw earlier Mm -hmm. in the show and how we're saying that's the strongest stuff in progress. That's what TK Banks should have been in three or four months' time, in maybe six months' time. As the Eddie Dennis, Mark Andrews story unfolds, you start the Travis Banks, Chris, uh, Travis Banks, TK Cooper story up as well. And they've just rushed it. They've completely rushed it. TK Cooper, I have no interest in. And a year ago, I was so high on the guy and so into him and wanting to see him get that big indie run as a singles wrestler as well at some point. But it feels like he went out injured for ages. He didn't have that big indie run that we thought he was going to have when he got booked in Bowler last year. But he's come back almost in a position that kind of equates to him having that run, if anything. Mm. And he's kind mm. of not earned the position that he's been just pushed into. He's got one win against Mike Bird on a dome show. He's had two name, title matches. He's lost them both. Eh?
0: Name name the great TK Cooper singles match.
1: Exactly. And he's had some good ones. But at the same time, they pushed him way above his level. He should have had that big indie singles run First of all, before they gave him the position they'd given him in. Did you think the Thunderbuster rehabbed him a bit? Yeah, I think character-wise it definitely did. But in terms of him being ready to be in the position he's in... They, bl- I think they've blown it. I honestly do. I don't think he's quite as over as he was. And I don't think he's as over. I don't think Travis Banks is as over as he would have been in six months' time if they'd have done a slow build to this. They could have put the power trip back together as well and had them at the occasional match as a tag team as well. And they would have got something out of it. But, but they've really blown it.
0: Yeah, I think uh blown it with both, really. I think Banks... It was just so easy. It just like you said like you said then, Joe, he was going along quite nicely having the big title matches and I do think that at a point you have to do something story based with the world champion, yeah, but I it doesn't s- have to be this. It could be just a rivalry. There could just be somebody <laughs> that he faces a few you know, there's there are more simple ways of doing but it.
1: While he has great matches, the slow burn story with TK Cooper could have burnt mm-hmm. away in the background and they've yeah. not
0: done that. You do the big turn at some point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe that was the plan. If Lycos wasn't injured, maybe we were going to get this string of uh, power trip versus CCK matches. (laughs) I don't know, though. I don't know. it's hard to to trust some of the long term booking in progress at the moment because, as we said on our last show, and as we've said a few times here, the best thing they've got going is Eddie Dennis and Mark Andrews, and part of the reason that's so good is that they're kind of being forced to wait with Eddie Dennis, yeah. so they're being forced. And to it looks like Wemble- so early.
2: It looks like Wembley's going to be the occasion of where they're waiting for them actually to meet, and that's going to be great. That's mm, gonna that's definitely. going to be a really good moment as well. And I also think as well, I mean, and we had this at the end of the match with Flash coming out. So another bloody title match in the build-up, which kind of makes the the Jack set kind of for me lessened the Jack Sexsmith storyline or any defenses he might have in New Orleans. I, it's it's again
1: kind of they're rushing through but it's another this list of challenger. It's oh he's it had is. one win in the Thunderbars the title match like he's lost like every match he's had for what a year or so. It's like the way they're building challenges. So TK Cooper gets one win at a dome show at one of the dome shows, I mean he's got two title matches. Okay. Didn't Chris Brooks lose quite a few matches mm. in his build to mm. that match with Banks in Birmingham? Like
0: Between between two title shots he lost that triple threat match, then he, the Zack Saber Jr. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah,
1: he did. And it just it doesn't to me it doesn't make sense. I think one thing you could have done here, uh, sorry to interrupt you, mate, <laughs> is I think they should have changed the booking around on this show to avoid this situation. I actually think they probably should have done Zach versus Travis Banks here and Jonah Rock versus Riddle as your indie dream match because if they did Zach versus Travis Banks you can have Zach do his heel act and that heel act is fucking awesome and it always gets over in Rev Pro where he often gets booed uh, if you have Zach heel on Travis Banks here I think it would have worked I think Banks would have been over as a result of that and people would have been in this side mm-hmm. and you would have got a really great match out of it as well whereas Riddle who is naturally likeable doesn't wrestle a heel style at all, yeah. and therefore Riddle is probably that little bit is that little bit more charismatic and probably that little bit more naturally likable than Travis Banks. Well, no disrespect to Travis Banks whatsoever, and Riddle kind of stole the show here. If anything, As like a likable uh, guy.
0: Like when they was first trying to make John Cena the the, the bit lovable babyface, and they put him in against Kurt Angle. Oh yeah. And even though Kurt Angle was the heel, everyone wanted to cheer him. And they did the same thing with Jericho. I mean, I would say though as well, I mean, the the, the fact that those two matches took place, it's the fans' fault. If we had got online and voted, we could have had it the other way around. I believe it was a close vote, but yeah, I think things might have bit. The card might have been uh, helped there if, if maybe that fan vote had gone the other way, and we'd we'd got the uh, the other combination of, of those two matches. I also anything will, to our JP before we, uh, we close up on the show yeah please?
2: just one one last element in terms of the idea of having these amount of title <laughs> matches coming up because um, I, I can imagine some response would be well you know we always like to have our champions defending every 30 days in which case why has Tony Storm not been stripped of that title <laughs> like if that's the case you don't have to, if, you, if you've if you set up your own kind of set of rules and your own logic within within the company about when title defence can happen, you know, you can space these out and they become much bigger events. And I and I also think as well, part of what you want to do with the Travis Bank is build to these big, big, to build to these big matches where he would have like, like a Keith Lee and then it might be a break of two chapters or just a chapter in between where he, he might be do He might have been doing a tag with TK Cooper. If we were going back to that kind of slow burn storyline to work in the background to kind of build things up again, and then he'd have these big, big kind of title defenses sort of every other chapter show. Instead, now again, you know, we're talking about this in uh, in the start of March, and we already kind of know two title defenses that's going to be happening.
1: Plus, God knows what's going to be going on in New Orleans. And also, Banks beat Riddle a few months ago. I've got to say, I haven't really commented on the match. I actually thought this match was the best match on the show. I I enjoyed the match for what it was in a bubble. Um, I thought their match uh, in November last year was definitely their strongest match. Well, it was a much better match. Mm -hmm. And I also think it made Banks look that little bit better as well. But um, going back to what I said about changing the booking round, Zach has been kind of on a tear. He's won all his matches. He beat Tyler Bate, the former WWE UK champion of the last show, right? <laughs> so, why is Riddle getting the shot here? Why not give Zach? I don't know if they've got plans for Zach to have a shot at a later date, but at the same time, I just think Travis Banks would look great beating somebody who's been on a tear of winning big matches in progress recently as well. Uh, yeah, just a confusing overall for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say again that was that was the fan vote, wasn't it? That wasn't that the. Oh yeah, I, mean, the, true. I mean, the answer is that don't do the fan vote. Yeah, <laughs> and just uh, go the other way around. He'll keep uh, them out of it. I've got yeah. another uh, alternative
1: point of view I want to present on this. Do you think any of this was by design? The
0: Travis Banks getting boots. Yeah, though?
1: yeah.
0: I can't imagine it. Uh, I, don't I don't know they've,
1: why. They've... Why. There were points, and there were things that, like, were said on the commentary about him getting booed as well. Like little hints that they think, hmm, have they done this by design? Like, you think about think about the way the match ended as well, right? Like they kicked out of absolutely everything, right? And you think about the way that Roman Reigns got booed when he just looked too dominant and kicked out of everything, right? And I just thought, have they sort of thought about how that happened? I don't know. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit here.
0: I would say that Travis Banks has been. I mean, I tweeted about the match, and he he replied something about Soz, I'm too good," something along those uh, lines. And he's kind of playing it up. I've noticed that anyone like me or other people who have been a little bit critical of of this match, he's kind of playing up that those boos and and that he's you know he's holding onto the belt and it's gonna take something big to beat him i don't know whether it would be the original idea but it does feel like something but it was also when he was in the
1: bro mission as well and he's getting out of like riddle stomping on him then he's in the bro mission he looks completely out he's got to have a top rope tombstone bloody pile drive for god's sake right (laughs) and then the way he did recover felt so kind of sporadic and kind of like superman like that i thought hmm i don't know like uh, uh, just, I, I don't, know, I don't know what to think. If if they did want to get Travis Bank booed more, mm-hmm. in a way, I sort of think oh, they have done quite a good job of it, in a way. But if that wasn't the intention, then Jesus.
2: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, I mean, in in some ways, this match kind of encapsulates a lot of the issues that we have with progress at the moment, where you've got this great match, but a storyline that leaves you scratching your head, and I don't think we're the only ones who are doing this.
0: Yeah, I think that pretty much that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? It's like progress. I think we we all enjoy talking progress because <clears> you don't just get you get great matches, but you do get things like this that you can kind yeah. of sink your teeth into and discuss. Even if we are being negative on the story, there's something there to kind of to talk about. There's a talking point there, but even if it is, I suppose a a negative uh, debate. But mm. I, I guess we'll see. One um, last talking
1: point, I'm just before we end. Did anyone think the crowd was quieter here than they usually are at the ballroom?
0: I didn't really. Know. I noticed. I saw you say that online, and I, I would say listeners to the yeah, it didn't sound much different to me. I thought the main did. event,
1: especially, the very quiet points, and I was kind of surprised by just how quiet they were. It was just at the end. I thought there was that real split reaction.
0: Yeah, I, do, I would say the I audio seemed a bit much. off. yeah. Throughout yeah. the show, didn't it? Like JP was saying earlier. Um, You could hear Glenn a a lot louder than you could hear Matt Richards. Um, Need to sort that out. Yeah, Yeah, I'd be interested to talk to anyone who was maybe in the building and and what their take was on it. Mm. Um, Indeed. Right, well, uh, moving on, we'll we'll change gear this uh, past week. Joe, you had the chance to catch up with the director of the This Is Progress documentary, Dale Beaumont-Brown. Let's check in with him and then we'll be back to give our thoughts on the documentary in a little while.
2: I want everyone to have a good time, I want everyone to go away and go progress is the best thing I've ever seen. This is the best wrestling show I've ever seen.
0: (laughs) For lack of a better term, you know, borderline addicted to it. I'll jump on the bus to go to the other end of the country to watch them. You're going to see your friends, you're going to see a great show. And it's just a wonderful experience to just be taken out of reality as such for a few hours of just pure fun and joy. Wrestling's a journey, man, like, you know, you discover who you truly are.
1: I'm like, what, like five foot six? Like, realistically, what chance does a guy like me have
3: making it in pro wrestling?
0: When we started progress, British
2: wrestling was not in a hot period. Basing shows around British talent rather than basing shows around four or five imports who used to work for WWE, it wasn't a thing.
1: Hello, and I'm here today with Dale Beaumont-Brown, the director and the producer of the upcoming Progress documentary. Dale's here today to talk about the release of the film and some of the filmmaking process of putting the film together as well. So, Dale, how are you doing today, mate?
3: Yeah, very well, Joe. Nice to nice to speak to you. Pleasure to be on the
1: show. No, it's good to good to have you here, and it was good to watch the documentary as well. Um, one of the first things I wanted to really ask you um, about the documentary and about Progress in general, um, before taking on the project, were you familiar with Progress itself, and what was your exposure to wrestling? Uh, like, are you a wrestling fan, for example?
3: Yeah, um, I guess kind of a two-parted question there, like. Uh, i've i've been on and off a wrestling fan since i was a teenager um actually no i t- tell a lie i was uh, i think it was wrestlemania three with uh with hulk and and, and warrior i might be wrong it might be wrestlemania six it's I don't six know. yeah i was <laughs> six right yeah this is this just proves how how good of a wrestling fan i am not <laughs> not not that knowledgeable um yeah so the, the my first instance was 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 hogan and and warrior i think i was about seven or eight and um I just remember falling in love with those little teddy bears that you used to get, those, those little uh, cuddly toys that looked like cushions, and I wanted one of them.
1: doll uh, sort of things, is that those that's, ones? That's, yeah, that's the I ticket,
3: yeah. That's the ticket. Also, it's just easy. It's easy to throw it around and pretend you're a wrestler. <laughs> um, so that was my first taste, but, you know, being... Uh, that was like uh, 25, 28 years ago or whatever it was. So it's a case of if you didn't have Sky or if you, you know, if you had a mate that had Sky, then you couldn't watch it. And it was a case for me that we didn't have Sky TV. So I, I had to go around to friends to watch it. And then um, cut to when I was in college and I was like 16, 17, and I was you know, banging to WWE because of the Attitude Era and stuff. And um, it really brought together like a friendship circle of mine. Like the the guy that I edited the film with, Ross Hagen, who's our associate producer, um, we we studied uh, media and film studies together, and our friend James, who we actually went on to found a, a, a backyard wrestling federation oh, wow. when we were in college. Um, yeah, we basically coalesced around my mum and dad's house every Friday evening, and we'd um, we'd watch Raw, and we'd we'd end up watching the pay per views and stuff. But then uh, after college, and after you know getting hurt a lot from backyard wrestling, I, we went away to university, and that's about that's that, that was it I, I stopped watching wrestling on the spot I've been making documentaries professionally for 10 years now and i remember seeing beyond the Mat years ago and just thinking you know i'd like to make something like this one day because i really like that that really emotive approach that verite approach to documentary filmmaking and that for me wasn't a film it wasn't your atypical wrestling film that for me was something different because it was i think beyond the map for me is something that it doesn't matter if you're a wrestling fan you can sit down and just gain an appreciation for what people go through and just appreciate that it's a good solid story you know of what people sacrifice and give up to to follow their dreams and their passions and I was like right I really want to make a film about wrestling one day but I did I didn't I never knew where to start the only thing I did know is I, I wanted it to have a really strong uh, British uh, British identity I wanted it to say something about us as Brits And then I then when I saw progress, you know, it all kind of just clicked like bold moment. I was like, right, this is it. I want to make a film about these guys. started doing a bit of research and um, kind of come to some conclusions of my own about who I thought they was, what they're about and uh, pitched my idea, sent an email to to Jim. And we had a meeting uh, with Jim, John and Glenn. And then within four weeks i was filming the short because they, they it was like three days before super strong style they invited us down to the show we watched we we experienced the show and you know what it's like when you when you go to a live wrestling show it's one thing trying to tell someone about wrestling <laughs> it's, it's another thing and then watching it on youtube or, or on demand and then it's another thing entirely when you actually go and experience it in person it's a very visible reaction that you mm. get from it and then all of a sudden my childhood was was right back in front of me in the wrestling ring and it just all fell into place and I knew I knew the direction I wanted to go. So I pitched Jim, John and Glenn the idea about making a short film about them as they approached their biggest show ever. And which was like one of the biggest in Europe for about 10 years um, when they were looking at doing the Brixton Academy in September. So, you know, I really wanted to just make a film about who progress was really, not just a, a, a film that just looked at them and analysed them as, you know, looked at them from the outside. But not just them as a company, but who they are as people. So for me, it was a case of, of who is progress. And for me, it was the, it was the, the three guys that run it, it's the wrestlers that, that, uh, that work backstage and then put on a show for the fans. And it's the fans themselves. And luckily for me, they, they they really went for it. They they liked my idea. It
1: seems to say uh, the selection of wrestlers as well. Was mm-hmm. it always going to be um, Mark Haskins? And obviously you've got Jimmy Havoc <coughs> featured in there and Jack Sexworth as well. They seem like the sort of, Haskins more so than the other two, but seems to be the three key guys um, in the documentary. Um, what? How did you make a decision on focusing on those three guys and Mark Haskins in particular? I was also going to say, was there anyone else that you considered focusing on, or anyone that wasn't willing to uh, appear in the documentary?
3: No, to be honest, it was Mark from the start, but I didn't know that it was Mark from the start. If that makes sense. Um, by the time I got around to going to my first ballroom show, which was five thousand to one, I forget when that was or <laughs> what chapter. It's chapter thirty-two. Um, I think it's a couple of years ago now. Like I think it's about june or uh, july 2016 i was still i didn't know who i wanted my main wrestler to be yet and i'd been outside and i conducted a 20 minute interview with with mark which was absolutely fine it went it went well i interviewed some other people that day i interviewed will osprey that day as well um and nathan cruz and, and and a bunch of others um and to be honest it was it was free chatting with mark once the camera was down that made me realize that this is the bloke that I want to follow Uh, because at the time uh, my wife was six months pregnant and I was expecting my first child in December of 2016. Mark had two little ones, uh, fantastic relationship with his wife, fantastic relationship with his kids. And it came from just having a chat with Mark about my anxieties about becoming a dad, about being a good father, being a good role model, being able to juggle uh, something that I love uh in in filmmaking with being a good dad and it's something that i saw a little bit of myself in mark because it's something that he manages to just juggle effortlessly by being a fantastic presence in the ring but but also once you get once he's at home he's an he's an amazing dude with with his kids and with his with his wife vicky um so it was it really was just born out of a conversation with mark after the interview where we just where i just spoke to him about about some of those things um and when it came to doing the feature, I had a conversation with Mark and said, by the way, I'm planning on filming for another year. Um, are you happy for me to you know, continue following your journey? And he was like, oh, yeah, OK. I didn't even think about that. You said you were making a feature, you know, but I didn't even consider that that you'd want to continue making it with me. And for me, it's the case that I was really, really drawn to that duality of, of, of Mark Haskins, that, 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 that idea of him being an ultimate badass. But at home he's, an, he's he's just the ultimate sweetheart so i was I'm, I'm really really drawn to stories about family because my first documentary was was about uh the campaign and the relationship between the cannabis activists and the main subject clark to to myself um and i, th- I think i just i just really like the idea of of what what makes a family? What and what defines it? And that and that's that, that for me that's that's the ultimate theme of this documentary. I think is it's not a film about wrestling. It's a film about family and what ties people together. What drives people to to take that extra step, you know, towards something that they love. The you know the extra things that they do and they sacrifice for something. Um, so I I saw I think I saw, like Mark is about six years younger than me. So I think I saw a little bit of myself in Mark. But I also I also saw a little bit of in Mark. I thought, man, I wish I was that together when I was 28, you know. And I'm sure he'd he would attest to that. But yeah, there was. I think I looked up to him a little bit uh, from from a maternal perspective. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to know about what it was like to be a good dad, what you have to give up and what you have to sacrifice and everything. And that was that was the conversation really. Where I knew that Mark would be the the backbone of the documentary. He'd be the one person that we come back to the most.
1: Got you. Now the theme of family that you brought up there seems to be quite prevalent throughout the documentary as well. Obviously, <coughs> Mark Haskins at home with his family, but some of the um seems one of the taglines for the documentary itself is based around, I think it was This Is Family. Um, what, was the, uh, what else were you trying to get across about family in the documentary, not just from the Haskins perspective, but from Progress as a company? Um, mm-hmm. What were you trying to get across in terms of that kind of uh, familial aspect, if anything, during the film?
3: Well, like I said, I think what, what, start, what started me off was I wanted to find out who Progress are. And it was clear to me after spending time with Jim and John and Glenn on the road and spending time with Mark and spending time with Paul and with the fans, it's clear that they're much more than just a name or a company or a brand. To me, they seemed like something bigger. They seemed like an ethos. And the ethos to me was family because once you get into the ballroom or or the Ritz in in Manchester or Sheffield or Birmingham, wherever they play shows, there's this aspect to everyone feeling like, there's this aspect that you feel like you belong uh an aspect of, of feeling like this it, there, there's a, a belonging there and you feel a part of something bigger than yourself and i, I just thought well this is fantastic i really want to i just really want to capture that lightning in a bottle it's really difficult to catch a lightning in a bottle but it seems like it's something that they have um so <coughs> excuse me it seems like like when we started filming in june 2016, like the story was the focus was on the promoters, the wrestlers, and their fans. But from what I've documented, it seemed like all three of those elements worked perfectly in symbiosis with one another. So if you take one away, like the other two cannot survive. So I wanted to show how progress works via the three most important gears or themes that drive that machine I mean, you have passion, and community, and family, which are all, all present in drives. Um, and also their families are so intrinsically involved as well. I mean. Uh, the way that that Jim addresses people in the ring, you know uh, in between matches at the start of shows and the way that Jim bangs the ring and then thanks the fans at the end of the shows and uh, you know family are, their family are present at shows and it's there's a real nice atmosphere backstage between people. Um, so i, I, I to, for me, i want to continue doing things in the wrestling realm i want i want to continue and i get this out to as many people as possible because for me i like i like wrestling a lot i like watching wrestling but it's not what keeps bringing me back it's the people and what and it's the people that keep bringing me back because it makes me feel safe when i when i'm at these places and i guess for me it's the case of want i want to document that and show that through my film Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: no, I get what you are trying to say. Have you been to any other British wrestling shows or is it uh, progress shows that you sort of predominantly attended over your time um, making the documentary?
3: To be honest, I've not been to enough. And it's something that when I was going through filming, it's something I thought about um, putting in. I I thought about having aspects of other British feds in there as well. So I thought about approach well, i spoke to a few others and then i decided against it in the end uh, because i knew what i wanted the end result of the edit to look like and what i wanted the end result of the film to look like and i thought uh, so, so I, I i you know i thought about approaching andy at rev pro then you've got trent um over over at fight club you've got the guys over at chaos and attack and uh, you've got future shock in manchester and, and the guys up at icw in, in 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 glasgow and i thought yeah you know i could i i could go and interview these guys and get an insight from them into you know what makes up british wrestling at the minute why is it on such a high is there is there a glass ceiling and is it going to smash at some point you know i thought about all these other aspects and themes that i could cover by going to visit those people but then i thought do you know what? Actually, to, to me, I think the most important image and the most important th- uh, th- thing to cover would be just sticking within the realm of progress. So, you know, that's why we we establish in a, you know first few minutes is we we, we kind of establish a potted history of, of who they are and and how they've got to be, so that once the film starts, we're 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 at we're in the summer of 2016, and then the film continues from there on in. So it's very much a case of I just I thought it might potentially muddle or uh, the the, uh, the story that I'm trying to tell with it. Uh, so I really just I think I just wanted to keep it quite insular and just focused on progress. And I've not been to as, enough shows, to be honest, because I've purely just been focusing on making this for the past uh, it's nearly two years now, it's two years since I pitched it to them. Um, but now I'm making an effort of going around to a bunch more shows just for my for my own sensibilities, really, because I enjoy it. But yeah I, I as I said I I I thought about approaching other companies but I decided in the end I think it might potentially muddle the the end sure. story that I was trying to do and just just keep it focused on on progress themselves
1: With the other shows that you've attended have you found a difference in the atmosphere and the approach of those promotions when you've been to those shows as well compared to progress
3: I guess yeah it's 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 it feels a little bit different as well because um you've got so many people that attend uh, a progress show, you know, um, I think the Sheffield one in December was their biggest one yet. And that was about 900 people. And at the ballroom, you know, and Birmingham and Manchester, I think you get about 700. Mm. So when you, when you go to another show like uh Riptide and, and others like this, you, you don't get as many people. So uh, straight away, you notice that there's a difference in terms of volume, but people are still involved. And you do see a lot of the same sort of fans as well. You do see a lot of familiar faces. So, in terms of actually the, the literal aspects, you, you do notice some difference. but in terms of the emotive aspects and people engaging with it, it doesn't fit it doesn't feel that different to, sure. to me it feels like the same sort of crowd base. I
1: think there's a story to tell, in a way, about people following British wrestling around the country at this point in time. So you've got mm. people spending weekends, arranging <coughs> weekends. I'm off to Germany in a couple of weeks to WXW as well. So oh, it's, nice. Yeah, it's a whole sort of European scene that's developed. And it's become a real social thing for a lot of people as well. Um, So there's that aspect to it. Um, To steer it back on to the actual documentary itself, one of the questions Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you was about um, the narrative strands in the documentary and the selection of some of the different narrative strands. So for you, first of all, um, is there a narrative strand that sticks out for you as being the kind of strongest narrative strand or the sort of heart and soul of the film, if anything?
3: Yeah, I, I... We're not talking about favourites or anything here, but what I think for me sticks out and what I think embodies the film most it's in its ideals in it's in, in the communication of, of, of its themes as, as a film that represents family. I think it's Mark's story. I think it's the Haskins story and. Um, I started to I started out making a film about progress, and it took me a, a, down loads and loads of diff- other different paths by by uh, exploring uh, an interview other fans, by exploring uh, the life of Paul Lee, um, following the lives and the changing landscapes for both Jim and John and Glenn. Um, but for me, I I, I think for me uh, it's it's a film. I think Mark Mark and the Haskins drive it drive it forward because, again, like. It, it, film is a constantly changing landscape, and the, the the thing is, you can documentary is the case of you 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 just you can just turn up and shoot, and you don't really know what you're going to get, and you can plan to a certain degree, and I do like to, but you have to allow an, an element of you don't exactly know what's going to happen. Mm. Um, and I didn't know that Vicky was going to come to the fore so much because she's such a powerhouse in Mark's life; she's so prevalent and there, and they're so involved in everything that they do. Uh, Vicky for me is as big a part of the film as as Mark is, and I just I just I just fell in love with their kids and their pets and and just them as people. Um, so, you know, it's it, I I never really I, when I went into this I thought right there's there's a ton of films out there that explore wrestling, that are looking at wrestling, and they all seem a lot of them seem to just focus on like one wrestler or the the journey of a wrestler, and I thought I didn't want to do that. Um, but I knew I wanted to have I wanted it to be an ensemble piece through the five main characters. And I knew I wanted to have one wrestler. So I didn't want it to be just about that one wrestler. And I don't think it is to a degree. But at the same time, you know, I'd be damned if I'd be saying that it, you know, it doesn't follow the, the, the highs and the lows of, of Haskins too much his career over the past two years. Seeing him, you know, get to get to the heady heights of holding about seven titles and then a month later basically being told you're gonna you've got the neck of an 80 year old you're gonna need to retire you know so it that it was there that 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 we that i decided that that mark's story was too important to ignore and it was the case that i didn't know what the conclusion of mark's story would be i didn't know if it's going to be the case that i would be documenting someone Uh, through the darkest time in their life because wrestling is their everything and they've just had their heart ripped out and they can no longer wrestle and now they've got to find something to do. Or is it the case that actually a little bit of time out and they can get back to wrestling, which is what Mark is doing now, um, which is obviously the better. Um, So I didn't really know. It's just the case that sometimes, like when you're making documentaries, you just have to be patient and you just have to wait. And you have to feel out a story and you have to see in which direction it's going. But at the same time, just try not to keep it too repetitive or samey. So every time I went back to Mark, it was it was about checking, checking in with the family and seeing how that going. But there was always a theme or something that drew me back then. Sometimes it was about, you know, he's got a big show on or he's about he's 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 winning the title today or he's about to receive the worst news that he's ever received in his life or it's his son's first day at school, you know, things like that. It's, 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 it's became really just wonderful things to, uh, to document. Um, So, yeah, I think for me, that was, I think for me, Mark is the most prevalent story, Mark and and Vicky's journey.
1: Yeah, he seemed to give you a a massive amount there, sort of in terms of highs and in terms of lows, most definitely. One of the things I was going to say as well is, it's interesting you sort of mention not wanting to do a story about, say, a single wrestler. uh, Because watching Mm. it, um, there were points where I thought to myself, um, there is a film in here about... (coughs) the wrestlers themselves and the independent British wrestlers on this scene at the moment and how they've kind of made a career for themselves was there any point that you did consider turning it into a film about uh, the wrestlers themselves? I say that because this is me from a personal perspective um, Mm -hmm. I found that the strongest parts of it were seeing the wrestlers and it was their journey and it was their experience that I found my, I'm not sure why but I found myself most drawn to when watching this um did you consider a maybe a separate piece where you just focused on the wrestlers or was it always the intention to go with progress as the grand um focus of a documentary with the wrestlers just making up part of that overall focus
3: yeah I d- I, for me it was always the case of it, everything has to be through the microscope of progress everything so even with even with mark it, uh, me talking about the main strand of the story being about Mark it's 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 contextual because when when we were making the film it was all a build up to their biggest show ever and at that show spoilers mark became their champion which is the you know the biggest prize that they can give to one of their wrestlers within that company and it, you know considering how big the, the the company has has become it's it's become quite a reputable belt um so no i i didn't i th- I thought about maybe expanding it when when I started as a feature, I thought about having two restless stories because straight away I, I, when, when I started, it was the case of, right, I've got a 20 minute film. How do I get this to, you know, 90 minutes? Uh, am I going to need another person here? And, and I thought I might need another person. But then I just kept following Mark's story and I decided that wasn't that wasn't the right recourse to, to follow. So I just decided to just keep it about the same people, just following it over an extended period of time. Um, yeah, so I didn't really think about making it about any other wrestlers, but I'd be lying if I said that after this, I don't want to make any more films about wrestlers and about promotions and everything. So, you know, never say never.
1: Yeah, I thought uh, J- Jimmy Havoc especially, um, <coughs> uh, there was something there during his interview. He gave a really <coughs> great interview, I thought. And Sex yeah. With Again, obviously, has yeah, a real yeah. story to tell um, and has you know, been through quite a lot in life, it seemed. Um, mm. I was going to say as well, regarding uh, various segments during the documentary as well, so there were points as well where... There were certain segments, and for me, and I couldn't work out why, say, the Freedom's Road segment was in the documentary, um, Mm. because Freedom's Road, I think, is obsolete now. It doesn't exist anymore, but I couldn't work out what point or what you were getting across about what Freedom's Road was. And who you were trying to sort of tell about Freedom's Road, if anything. Would yeah. you be able to explain that bit
3: for us? Yeah, of course. Basically, for, for me, Freedom's Road was the encapsulation? En- Did I just make up a word? <laughs> it, it, the encapsulment. Oh, my God. Encapsulation. <laughs> encapsulated. For me, Freedom's Road encapsulated the, the idea of this, the, the, the prominent role that the internet has in contemporary wrestling. Uh, and being able to build upon and reach an audience online without the need for a TV deal and the amount of times that i've seen people say that progress needs to be on tv and and they, you know they need a tv deal they don't they've got uh, as as to many 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 wrestling companies within the uk and around the world T- tv is a dying art now um tv is moving online and this, uh, for me, I think this is one of the key reasons why independent wrestling has been a boon over the past few years in the UK is that because since the democratization of filmmaking and, and uh, the rise of the Internet and people's viewing habits by, uh, by watching things online, watching things on their phone, their Kindles, their iPads, uh, Netflix, Amazon, iTunes – uh, it's it's opened up opportunities for uh, the, the British independent wrestling scene to have their own video on, on demand platforms and not necessarily need a TV deal anymore, which is why back in the days, back when I was watching that uh, Attitude Era WWE, you only had people like WWE and WCW and ECW because they had TV deals. That's the only way I could know about them because they, they, they weren't readily accessible. I had to go on Rajar.com or something to find out about what was going on. Um, Whereas nowadays, it's easier than ever to be a wrestling fan because you've got you've got it's like being at a buffet. You've got so much choice. It's easier than ever to be a wrestling fan. So for me, I wanted to document with Freedom's Road. I wanted to document how a wrestler. This is where we do it through the eyes of Spike Gervais. Um, how a wrestler comes about how it how the how someone who's just starting out in wrestling gets onto the big shows and freedom's road is an opportunity to do that for them not only that but it's an opportunity for them to build character uh, to practice wrestling in front of a show and to to build them up and and to practice their mic skills and and build their character up to to people which is you know which is what wrestling is all about but also as indicative of of why progress have been so progressive excuse the pun, uh over the past few years is they've, they've embraced new change they've took gambles and risks and they they've they've assessed that yes they've got this fan base now we and we've got a video on demand platform let's exploit that by having our own show and for me that's what freedoms are embodied so that whole scene for me is just about how the uh, how the internet has become a thing over the past few years in
1: terms of the audience that you're looking to get this documentary out to, who is this documentary for? What sort of audience are you looking to engage with the documentary?
3: Yeah, so I, I, I've made this because I want this to be, as I said with my experiences with Beyond the Mat, um, I watched it and I thought that was a fantastic documentary, but if I was to show my mum or my dad, Or someone who doesn't give a shit about wrestling, they could just appreciate it for a good story, and that was that was that was paramount to me. I didn't want this to just be, you know, me. I didn't want it to be obvious that it was just me licking Progress's bum. I didn't want it to be just the the case that this is an advert for Progress. Because you could look at it from a perspective that yes, it's it's a film about progress and it portrays them in a positive light. So there is you can't help but see it like that. It's a positive thing, but that was paramount for me from the start. Um, so I wanted it to really, ju- this is why I wanted it to, to follow, uh, the guys and what they do outside of the ring, uh, when Jim, John and Glenn and, and, and Mark and Paul, um, because I didn't want it to just be about what goes on within the wrestling ring. I wanted it to be about what was, what was going on without rather than within, um, hence why I wanted it to be about a, a story about people. Um, i think because of the size of progress their, their 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 size in terms of their social media presence um are they're, they're constantly growing um the the amount of wrestling fans that are into them i think straight away uh, you know we kind of thought that this might be something that wrestling fans would be interested in first and foremost so we, we uh, from our thinking we think that this is something that potentially would interest wrestling fans but much much larger than that. We want this to be something that you will come across on Netflix because over the past over the past few years, documentary has has boomed and it's, it's basically how I'm able to make a living um, because of things uh, places like Netflix and Amazon because you know people are sat there they want to watch something they want to binge something they they people like documentaries and they discover new things that they didn't even know existed before and that's what this is. Um, and that to, 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 to many degrees as well that's what progress is um two years ago i had no idea who they were no idea whatsoever and now now i know quite a lot about them because i've done a lot of research and i've made a film about them and seen a lot of things that many many people have not seen um and i want that to be the same for anyone who will come across it i want them to you know i, I would i would love for someone who doesn't like wrestling or don't give a shit about wrestling at all to watch this and go, do you know what? Don't like wrestling. Don't care for wrestling, but I respect what they do. And it's made me think about it in a different way. Cause that's all you, all you want at the end of the day as a documentary filmmaker is you don't want people after your film to just be like, yeah, all right. You want them to question things about themselves or then go around the water cooler at work on Monday and say, do you know what I saw the other night? I saw this really interesting film about this punk rock, wrestling company in London and they do things a slightly different way and didn't even know that existed and that's 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 quite a cool fun aspect to it so for me it's it's not for everybody it's absolutely not because the fact that this is a, a, a film about a wrestling company straight away people aren't going to watch it certain a select number of people aren't going to watch it same as when I, when i made my film about cannabis because it's got the title can uh, the word cannabis in the title some people just won't watch it because they think it's just another drug film. And that, that film isn't about cannabis. It's about it's about the, the, the struggle that people go through. It's about the journey they go through. This film isn't about wrestling. It's about the hardships and the passion and the, and the family and the, and the aspect of bringing people together. That's what it's about. Um, so I don't think this film is for everybody. I, um, I, I, I think it's for people who appreciate uh, film and appreciate a good story, people who appreciate good documentary, but also I, I think it's for wrestling fans as well, because how could, I, how could I, I ignore wrestling fans? But I'd be stupid if I said I didn't want to get this out to a further audience of people as well. I want this to go as far and wide as possible. Um, so I've got intentions of this going to places like iTunes and Amazon and Netflix uh, and things like that. So, yeah.
1: And is it festival screenings that you're looking for initially to kind of um, sort of hype the film and to get the word out there of the film to make people yeah. aware of the film?
3: Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I love film festivals. They're, they're a great way for me to tap into what's new, what, what, what's going on in the documentary scene, to meet some of my peers from all over the world and to watch new and exciting films months and months before they're even released. And the good thing about festivals is I, I can take my film along and much like you know joe public who will come across it on channel four one night who didn't know anything about it it'll be the same for you know joe commissioner who works for bbc or someone who works for curzon or picture house or sky or fox or whatever um they're not going to know anything about it but then once they watch it it's it's a way for them to watch it and experience it and they can think about this might work well in america or in canada and that's the good thing about wrestling is there's pockets of fandom all over the world um there's so i could i, I see this being potentially quite popular in, in the us and canada and mexico and japan and australia and germany and all over the uk because wrestling is just is, is a hot thing at the minute i was going to ask uh, a question as well there was something that i thought was kind of absent from the film
1: and yep. that was the wwe relationship uh with progress was there any discussion or i know obviously this would be a, a minefield with wwe being a um publicly traded corporate company and all the rest of it in the u.s was there mm. any um talk of including that at any point was there any um approach that you made or the, the guys at progress made towards
3: wwe to possibly be included in the film at all no, not really. Um, it's something I don't know a great deal about, despite um, them giving me access to pretty much every part of their life. This is something I don't know anything about. It's something that uh, that because it's it's in the, in the public sphere, it's, it's up in the air. And it's the case that it's up in the air with me. I don't really know what's going on. And I knew that there was a finite deadline that I needed to finish filming by. So it wasn't a big enough or more or important enough part of the story. To put it in, the most important aspect to me was was ju- just you know documenting the stories of of the five guys that were a part of it, and I didn't I didn't really see that that was a part of it. If it's if it's a part of their story in the future, then then fair enough. But for me, it was the, just the case of telling the story in the now of what is going on within progress during 2016 through to 2018
1: got you. No, the reason I wondered was because you often see um, like them talking about say uh, having the guys access last year and the progress wrestling stuff at access is like a real sign of kind of success and making it and all the mm. rest of it and having um, UK title matches um, at the ballroom as like a side of that success as well so i just wondered from sort of trying to show that success whether it was something you looked to include at any point to show that kind of validation by
3: you know the biggest wrestling company in the world and all the rest of it yeah um yeah i respect that that's that's cool and i did i did think about it and it's uh, yeah it's something i thought about but to be honest it, it yeah I'd, i think i just wanted to to show the 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 grassroots aspects of of where they came from and where they've got to on on their own um i and i kind of feel like whatever's going on with wwe that's i think that's maybe a a story for the future sure Um, yeah so with that coming the sequel
1: maybe (laughs) oh god (laughs) anyway dale really good speaking to you today mate um where could people possibly find you or find out about your
3: company or the film going forward from here Cool. You can find us online at progress.q.com. We're on Facebook uh, forward slash progress.q. We're on Twitter forward slash progress.q, and we're on Instagram at forward slash this is progress. Thanks, Dan. And, uh, yeah, no worries, man. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Joe.
1: Yeah, you too. Good luck with the festival applications as well. Cheers, dude. Thanks a lot. See you later, mate. Bye. Yes. Bye. Bye start Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom,
0: now my whole. Thank you to Dale for taking the time there. It was uh, an interesting interview there, Joe. I thought two things. I kind of took mainly whether that he comes across as a really thoroughly lovely bloke. Um, does seem very embedded in the fan culture of progress. I think that. Uh, very fan-funded project, isn't it? I'm not sure if, uh, maybe the likes of us are the, are the target audience, but we'll, we'll have some questions on that side of things. I mean firstly uh jp did it did it land with you as a documentary i believe it was thirty-two thousand they, pounds they raised on kickstarter and put into this thing like i say very much fan funded um mm. very much targeted at the the progress audience um we kind of we're, we're all progress fans but we, we maybe we wouldn't count ourselves as being in that uh very hardcore group uh, i don't know did it land with you
2: there are certain aspects of the documentary that kind of land with me. Some aspects of the individual stories. Um, in particular, and these are things that we're gonna go over between all of us, but and particularly the Mark Haskins um, story itself, particularly because he is such a, a likable guy, and you can't help but really root for him in the sense of this. I know we've we've obviously been doing a review of a show where you know, there, there, there have been aspects of, of how he's been booked in progress recently that kind of flies in the face of this. But I thought that particularly worked. Um I thought, obviously, I mean, Jim Smallman comes across as, you know, very, really pleasant, very personable. Um I thought John Briley comes across over. Okay. Oh, I was quite well on this.
0: Surprised at that. I kind of, as much as we've had run ins with him in the past, I was he's a bit like my spirit animal here. He's kind of just quietly working away on the merch, editing shows rather than going to Disney World. Um, I thought all that stuff was actually quite interesting mm. to see just how much work he, he actually puts into the promotion.
2: There is a day to day aspect of this that is always going to be, always going to have an appeal to wrestling fans. And, mm. um, and that type, when you do see that, and there's a, there's a really great moment within the documentary where you've got Mark Haskins and Tommy End running through their match at the Brixton Academy. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. It was the first part of, and I was speaking about this with Joe beforehand, it was the, one of the few aspects that kind of felt really observational in terms yeah. of the documentary, where there isn't a case where they're kind of, they're not really even acknowledging the cameras there. It's very much the fly on the wall, cinema verite style where it's, it's holding back. And I think, you know, that works really well. And there are other small moments like that. Um,
0: yeah. just, it's great to kind of see a window into that, isn't it? See the, like I said before, see Briley working away, to see the wrestlers pan in the matches. That fly on the wall element of it was mm. something I definitely took as a positive.
1: Yeah, I agree. I did like those moments. I did feel that it was a bit inconsistent when it came to the observational type stuff. And I did feel that the, some of the strongest moments of the documentary were definitely the observational aspect of it. Um, but I did feel at times when, during some of the interview segments, um, how can I put it? They're, like say said, the Dahlia Black Ginny segment, I don't see what it added, if I'm honest, and I don't see what they were really getting across. And I'd much rather of, of, of just observe the two of them, sort of chatting about the promotion, chatting about wrestling, maybe putting one of their matches together or something, having a point to sort of hanging out mm-hmm. rather than sort of talking to the camera and to mm-hmm. Dale about what progress has done for them. Because at that point, to me, it felt like it was more of like a promotional piece for progress and it wasn't so much about the wrestlers and what they do. And I did think at times if he was more loyal to the observational approach with a segment like that, it would have been that little bit stronger and more kind of interesting and engaging as a documentary. Yeah. um, I
2: think as, I mean, as a kind of one of my overall thoughts uh, um, on it as a documentary is that you, this is very much a progress documentary. And for those of you who enjoy wrestling documentaries, there's large aspects of that that you're not really going to get from this. And so one of the things I, w- I would recommend, there's a, there was a documentary come out a few years ago called Two Falls to a Finish, which kind of talks about the, 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 the fall and then sort of slight rise at that point in time of British wrestling. And, you know, for all of the, and obviously technically it's well behind this documentary, which I have to say for 32,000 that they've made from a production aspect, that's, you know, it's, it is a very well shot. It's very well framed um but what it doesn't have is the kind of a lot of the context with where progress sits within British wrestling and where British wrestling was before progress. there's a kind of element of it where there's talking about uh, I think it's who says you know it was dying on its ass well, you know there was, british wrestling going on at the same time that progress started up i mean i don't think that's that's not necessarily a fair comment you could argue that that's the one that's caught on the most within the uk but there are things like that which obviously for snobs like me that's going to be the kind of thing that slightly doesn't um doesn't sit as sit as well there are certain feuds that are really critical to the growth of the company, and again, this is something I know that we've all spoken about before. I know Joe, obviously, I've spoken about you several times, but Jimmy Havoc, Will Osprey, is kind of not really covered, and that is. I the don't c- think it's mentioned once, is it?
0: There are I think that there's a little video clip of it in there. I mean, again, we're talking about a documentary that a lot of people... Oh, isn't the
1: dive in the balcony when they almost got down from the ballroom? And...
0: That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's on the intro at the start yeah. of the documentary. Yeah. I mean, for, for obviously, a lot, the vast majority of people who are listening to this won't have seen it, but obviously there's the shortened version of the documentary, or the initial version, the initial cut, the 15 minutes or so, <clears> or the 20 minutes version that, that most people have seen, but yeah, in the expanded version... I don't know. I mean, that, I mean, that goes to kind of what I was going to ask. I mean, firstly, goes to what you were just saying there, JP. Who is this this documentary for? If it's not just the the progress fans who who have funded it and. I suppose question for you, Joe. What did you think the the expanded length and the 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 longer cut of this? What did it add to 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 the maybe the story that, that people have have already seen when they've uh, seen the 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 shorter version on one? Yeah, I think it like?
1: kind of dilutes the narrative of that shorter version. Whereas the shorter version felt like there was that story about Haskins in there that they established.
0: Whereas, and he comes across so well doesn't yes. he? I think Haskins and that family I mean I just want them to adopt me um, <laughs> they just come across as the most lovely people um, and his whole story is interesting, there's, there's extra bits isn't there A the long bit where we get to see a bit more about him going to the doctors with his neck injury and his you know, the fact that he, he ended up carrying on wrestling so you get a little bit more there uh, but yeah maybe a bit less focused than the short version
1: yeah I didn't feel there was as, like with the extra bits with Haskins I didn't feel there was the drama that you kind of necessarily needed. I don't know whether that's just Mark Haskins kind of laid back down to earth character, um, that doesn't necessarily bring that drama to the table to work with. So that might be part of it, if anything. Um, but I didn't feel like it had that element of drama that like, I felt the documentary needed to really draw me in. Um, but the big thing for me there's a there's a lot in here like it really is crammed a lot in mm-hmm. um i did think that there was a less is more approach that could have been employed to some extent um there are lots of segments in there that oh, i just didn't feel like worked with the flow of of the film and it felt like there was a series of vignettes that were trying to be kind of fit in amongst one another so there's the freedom's road bit which i mentioned mm-hmm. in the interview and Dale obviously justified his reasons for putting that sure. in there. Um, but for me, I just can't see what it actually gives to the narrative. And his point about it showing that this is more of a DIY promotion, any TV anymore, I didn't really get that impression from it. I didn't feel that that came across in the documentary. Oh. And there's, a, there's, sorry. there's
0: like a VOD bit that follows it, isn't there, that's like – it feels almost like an advert there's like a, a couple of yeah. minutes where they're just showing you what progress on demand yeah. is and I was just thinking what value does this add yeah,
1: it felt to me like that was like I say um, like a bit of an advert, a bit of a mm. promotional piece sort of vignette style that had been thrown in there and again when we're talking about the style um, and the mode of documentary that is employed that stuff goes so against the observation style that had been employed at other points of it um, obviously, we're observing the Riddle, um, Chuck Mambo piece. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we've got interviews about what Freedom's Road is and all the rest of it and progress on demand. That really did feel like it was just, oh, can you get this in there? Can you kind of get across the on-demand service? So uh, I wasn't a fan of that bit at all. I just wished that, like I said, there was a less is more approach that was taken. And I've really wanted this to be more about the wrestlers and possibly the owners, uh, whereas I feel that it's about progress as a whole, and there's so much to tell eh, about progress, and I wish there was kind of one or two kind of angles or narrative strands that were taken mm-hmm. on board here and pursued, because you get the little bits of, say, Jack Sexton, a little bit with Jimmy Havoc. I was really intrigued by both of their stories. I know their stories, but I feel like that could have made a really effective film because they're both naturally people that you can feel quite a lot of empathy for if you do feel this, hear their story. And I thought there was a lot more to tell with those guys as well. Um, whereas, you know, I don't really care to hear more from the PW girl gang. Like, if I sat down and watched this with my girlfriend or my dad, like, they're going to be like, eh, what's this? Whereas if it was a story about Jimmy Havoc, my dad, who loved that Eddie Dennis documentary on iPlayer uh, about him. Did you see that for 10 minutes short about him? Um, mm, I know that was off, really strong. I'll track it. Love that because it's a human interest story. Whereas my dad hearing about Frida's Road and PW Girl Gang, going to lose his interest. And if this is going to be distributed outside of the progress mm. bubble, I just can't see who is going to come aboard and really kind of invest in the documentary, if anything. Mm.
0: I, I thought... Um, I mean, you make some great points there, but I thought another point, to, you know, going back to the interview, uh, you asked, didn't you, about uh, the lack of WWE kind of illusion. There's no... Yeah. Real, like, there isn't a, a mention of that relationship. There's no... I mean, I... have <laughs> I just feel like there's a there's a story to be told there, and I know that Dale mentioned that maybe that's something for a future project. But it's such a prevalent part of of what progress is right now that I mean, I know we I suppose we're being a little bit hypocritical because I've just you know we've just kind of said that well there's too much crammed into the documentary. But for me, that felt like a a really big part of of Progress's story and where Progress is is at now and how they've found themselves at Ali Pali and how they found themselves at Wembley, you know, a venue that you've booked in the past. It just felt by leaving that out that we're maybe missing a a big part of of Progress's story.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's something Progress have to push themselves constantly. Look at our title in the WWE ring. Look at our logo, at access. And it's almost like their confirmation yeah. as a company of, like, making it, if you know what I mean, and then that confirmation of them making it isn't kind of confirmed in the documentary either. So, yeah, I did think – obviously, there are troubles around that as well, and access arrangements and licensing would become, you know, a minefield, I imagine, yeah. at that point. So I kind of get it from that perspective. But it was interesting that there wasn't a mention of it. Um, I, I, I just wish there was more of a narrative – that it followed throughout the documentary Mm. and I just felt that it was a little bit all over the place at times and you know Dale's got perfectly good reasons to justify some of his choices when speaking to him but yeah it just to me didn't feel very coherent at points if I'm honest Mm. I would say I mean I was saying to to both of you before we
2: before we started um, uh, recording this review that one of the ways I think that it could be works, obviously, there is an absolute ton of footage that he's, that he's had to work from. And it's a hell of an undertaking that he's taken on here because you're trying to cover effectively what is, you know, what is this company? What is it about? Who are the people involved? And there's a lot of things there within a kind of short form cinematic release documentary. I don't know if that's possible. Without kind of completely excluding some of these aspects mm. and focusing on two or three two or three elements of that, for me, where this would kind of suit better, and it isn't something, and this is something as a as a kind of a, a six half an hour episode element where you take a different strand. And for those people who, who listen to this who haven't seen it, a lot of the documentary is kind of made mm. interspersed of small stories. So as we said before, mm. you have your Haskins section. The Jimmy Havoc bit where he cuts this brilliant sort of promo and then goes into sort of Jimmy Havoc person, um, where you, you have Jim and the work he's doing in terms of his stand up and family. You've got John Briley dealing with the day to day aspect of progress. You've got Glenn Joseph, um, uh, sort of finishing up his tour with, with Buddy Holly. Then, oh you, then on top <laughs> of that, but yeah, th- and there's more, then you've got the Freedom's <laughs> Road part. Then you've got the on-demand. You've got Ginny and
1: Dahlia. Then you've got that, Ginny and Dahlia. That felt
2: to me like it was ticking a And you've got this. Brixton. And you've got Ali Pally. Now, already at this point, we kind of there's 10 sections in it. So it's an hour and a half long. And if you're doing the maths on this, that doesn't leave a lot of time in terms of that real depth to have that. They kind of end. And you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And we're not going back to that again. Um and um, one of the other points as well that I kind of wanted to raise, um, sorry, I'm, I'm off on one here at this point, is points like the there is this kind of overall lack of drama. Like part of the reason films work in general, not just documentary films, is you need to have these kind of um, these elements of conflict to what they're up against. So, for example, even setting up the ring and the and the entire setup at the the ballroom looks like an enormous undertaking Mm. that like, you know, the kind of day to day struggles that they have with that or the kind of roadblocks that come along the way. Now, I'm going to talk about Brixton in specifically for this, because Brixton itself kind of really left. A bad taste in all of our mouths. And at the yeah, time. The
1: sucked, no one was willing to say it at the
2: time. No was one was willing that. to say it at the
0: time. <laughs> I think even we were in that book where it was kind of like, this was, yeah, we were all expecting it to be so great and we were just, yeah. Now, it, no, no, Nobody, like you say, was coming out and outright saying that it was it was a pretty bland show.
2: Yeah, and, and I think it would have been better. I mean, and obviously there was a reason why the next year, it, uh, why, why they ended up having a show at um, Alexandra Palace instead. There was a reason for that move because if the Brixton show had been absolutely this kind of not only commercial success, but this critical success as well, they would have no more than likely stayed there. No, right. Or, and so what there is, is it's like, and this Brixton show is amazing and it's great, uh, but we're going to, we're going to move venue next year. We're not really going to kind of explain why. And the problem is with that is I think what it is, you're getting the feeling that you're not being kind of told something. And when you've got a documentary that, kind of giving you this backstage access but there's still elements of this that are being really taped off and they're not able to go near for me that creates a bit of a problem because i'm thinking i don't think i'm hearing all of this it would have been interesting to say you know what there's things about this brixton show that maybe didn't work i not happy about it and the same thing for freedom's road where people have gone we tried this it perhaps hasn't worked in the way that we have because otherwise wouldn't they still be doing it um and even talking about things like Endeavour shows, which they've kind of moved on. I, th- I think that kind of trying new stuff and perhaps it not working out, but you go back and you try again. That's the kind of thing that actually gets you in- emotionally invested in,
1: in this type of a story. And you don't have that. I think to myself as well about other really great wrestling documentaries. And um, you're talking about drama. And I mentioned drama myself. And I know Dale mentioned Beyond the match in the interview as well when I think about beyond the mat you've got Mick Foley and I suppose Haskins is kind of in the Mick Foley role here but we've not got a Jake Roberts and I'd love to see a
0: Jake Roberts Jimmy Havoc's the man for that yeah
1: and that's what I thought I thought you've got him right there maybe his story isn't quite as tragic or as you know um, kind of heartbreaking as Jake Roberts is but at the same time he was there and his story is interesting you know he's got a story to tell and I don't know, maybe he'd be hesitant to tell it, but I really thought that there was something else there with Jimmy Havoc. There was someone else there with Sex Smith as well. Um, I also think of, say, do you remember the ICW documentaries that were on the BBC a couple of years ago? Mm. My, I'm going to bring my dad up again. My dad absolutely loved those documentaries. Mm. Talking about how hilarious he found that Grado bloke and really liked <laughs> Mark Dallas. Now, you think about that documentary. They took two guys from ICW, uh, three. They took Jack Jester, they took Grado, they took Mark Dallas. They showed a struggle that each of them had, but they showed them as real people, humans, but they also got across what wrestling does for them and what wrestling does in their lives as well. And they had a genuine story to tell Mm. and there were devices that were used to get that story across and they got it across really effectively. Obviously, you've got the BBC working with you there, so it's a little bit different. But at the same time, I never really felt engaged in any of the stories that existed in the documentary and I never felt invested in anything at all. And it just makes me worry that this isn't going to find the audience that they wanted to find outside of the progress bubble. And I just wonder, and this is no disrespect to Dan at all, because he seems like a really good bloke and gave a really good interview. Mm. But I just wonder whether he is maybe too involved in that progress bubble and maybe they needed someone to come to the project who was a little bit outside of the bubble who was just discovering what goes on in there and could maybe be a little bit more balanced because there really isn't a balance in the documentary at all in terms of for an opinion and view of what the promotion do and of the wrestlers' lives if anything which is a real shame
0: There are no negatives are there? There's nothing you come out and say well it, it, this is a negative about Progress as a company this is a negative mm-hmm. about the presentation it was, there was lots of interviews with fans in queues outside all pretty much saying the same thing but
1: and, I'm no to all of them could go they're all the same fans mm-hmm. that are like Progress is the best thing ever and
0: we know they
1: are <laughs> it's yeah. the guys that are going to give a, a really positive glowing opinion of Progress they're mostly fans that sit in the front row at every show <laughs> and they're <laughs> month after month and they had that covered with the Paul Lee story, who,
2: for anyone who's met Paul Lee, is a really nice bloke. He's very, very affable. He's really easy
0: to get He comes on. across really well. In he the documentary.
2: does come across really well. He comes across as a, as a, as a really nice, friendly guy, as he is, because he is that mm-hmm. type of guy. And he's uber hardcore. I mean, this is someone who makes the trip from Middlesbrough down to London, and I'm just thinking, what, is he just sacrificed sleep for, like, an entire day? But he's better <laughs> than me, then. Um, yeah. And I thought that was fine, kind of having him as the, as, as the, the fan that effectively are conduit into this world who has taken so much from seeing progress. And I think the story is he, he saw them at download and that was it. That was the thing that got him hooked. And, you know, and that is really, that's an interesting story. What you don't really need then is to kind of interview five or six other fans who are effectively saying, a very much a condensed version of the same thing yeah. of this is really good. It's like, well, do you know what? I mean, and maybe this, for, this is for us, you know, we know why progress is good and why it works best. But again, if you're showing this to an audience of non wrestling fans, you have to imagine this is kind of what it's being aimed at, particularly with the kind of level of production values as well, which is going to be easier for a casual fan. I mean, I, I mentioned two falls to a finish before. That's not something that's ever going to go beyond the kind of wrestling hardcore's or people who are really into world of sport. Here, you you haven't got that kind of reasons for almost why it is so great. It's mm. like there's a constant stream of you being told this is brilliant. This is really great. It's really fantastic. Um, it's really diverse and everybody's welcome. But at the same time, you, you have all of those things, but you don't really ever see kind of evidence of it.
0: No,
1: I think from a technical perspective, it's, pretty solid. I will give it credit where credit's due. But from a substance perspective, it really lacks something. I think you say Nigel McGuinness' self-funded documentary, from a technical perspective, that isn't a great documentary. But substance-wise, my God, it's got substance in spades. And it's such an engaging story. I think you could show, if the the technical aspect's better, I think you could show someone the Nigel McGuinness documentary and they'd really invest in it, and they'd invest in his story and what he is doing. And obviously, that's about one man's journey and one, one man's career as a wrestler. This is about a company, um, so it's a very different approach. But, yeah, it's just another example I wanted to sort of lend, if anything.
0: Well, I mean, the other thing I was going to say as well is it's kind of like I felt like take a shot every time somebody says three mates. Uh, Progress was put together by three mates I, I don't know, I mean, Rev Pro was put together by two mates, I'm sure OTT was put <laughs> together by mates, I'm sure What Culture was put together like by Zero Mates was put
1: together I, by Two mates what, and one of the guy's brothers wasn't it, if anything
0: What, what does it mean? It, it's just, what, what, what makes that difference than any other promotion and it's hammered home in... Talking headpiece after talking hey, headpiece uh, after talking hey, headpiece.
1: we're missing a trick here. Here's a, here's, here's a podcast
2: with
0: three cost.
1: mates. Three mates.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the oh, mate cast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've talked uh, a lot about, you know, some of our negatives, some of our positives. I mean, as far as people who maybe, you know, we talked about the inf- influence on a wider audience. The people who'd listen to this podcast, is it something that you'd both recommend uh, people take a look at when, it's, when it is available?
2: I would I would say, I mean, because there's relatively few in the way of kind of wrestling documentaries with this kind of level of production values. I mean, there are lots of wrestling documentaries out there. A lot of them feel as they are. They're kind of very much from people who are hobbyists. Dale, on the other hand, is a professional filmmaker. This is someone who has made a documentary before. Um, as he explains in the interview with Joe, he, he he has a background in filmmaking. And so he's able to, in, in terms of being able to put together a polished piece that visually looks really well, is going to have that appeal. I think for a lot of wrestling fans and a lot of British wrestling fans, I think they should see it. Um, not in the sense, because obviously uh, people will take the impression from this that we just you know, that that we're focusing on the negatives and, and whatnot of it. But I think it's worthwhile for everyone to see, to see this because I'd be interested to kind of see an almost very like almost global opinion of this and what people make of it, where it sits in the pantheon of sort of the great wrestling documentaries. And Joe's mentioned some of them already. It's not there. I mean, if you're wanting to have a documentary about wrestling, I don't think this is it.
1: No, I don't if you want a documentary about progress yeah, yeah. this is what you have. Yeah. It's it's and I one of the things I wanted to ask Dale was how many other companies he'd been to see live because you get a different kind of culture at different companies, different feel. And yeah, I did think that it did seem like it was just progress that he was kind of really into in terms of the British scene. Because this gets across progress. It doesn't really get across Anything else about wrestling? If you ask me, and I'm a really big fan of wrestling, and I'm a Progress fan because I would be doing this podcast, I wasn't a Progress fan, and at one point I really did, you know, love Progress, I suppose, but not at this level where everything is awesome and Mm -hmm. I kind of blindly follow everything Progress do and say, and it just feels like another example of Progress kind of creating a cult, if anything, and. Yeah, it just seems like there's a bit of a cult to the fandom in progress. And there are other little things in there as well. It's not a documentary about the British wrestling scene, right? But why are there little things about like the PW girl gang in there? Surely that's part of the overall British wrestling scene. It's not part of just progress. And it started making me think, why is it that piece from the scene generally that's been selected to be put into the documentary. Why, are there, why is there no mention of other companies? Why is there no mention of other things that exist in the British wrestling scene? Like, it's it just sort of got my mind wondering. Mm. Why is there no mention of the abundance of British wrestling podcasts that have sprung up in the wake of the <laughs> British
0: wrestling <laughs> book? Put together by three mates. Exactly. Yeah. That's
1: so, is that so
2: it? It? is, is we all just basically angry? because we weren't involved in any way.
0: <laughs> we wanted to be talking about
2: that. what it is. We're jealous. Down to on that, isn't it? Yeah. In my mind, Definitely. anyway. I mean, but yeah, I, I'd I'd have to to, to second um, a lot of that. I mean, there is stuff that could be brutally kind of cut away because if you're thinking of what it's actually adding to the overall experience, I think that could could go. I mean, we all talked again about. Thinking about trying to get our significant others to have a watch of this, and yeah,
0: that was—I I had that exact thought on Sunday. I was going to sit down and I thought I'm going to watch it again. I want to get, you know, get maybe I'll, I'll sit down with my girlfriend and I thought there's not really much in here for her. She doesn't. She's not a wrestling fan. I think she might have been interested in some of the personality pieces, but yes. there was no way I would have been able to convince her to sit down I just for don't 90 think minutes. You
1: can engage her because the personality stuff isn't. Um, it isn't kind of prominent enough throughout the film and there's so many distractions Mm. from the personality stuff if anything Mm.
0: well I think that pretty much uh, sums up our thoughts on it but yeah definitely I'd agree with the guys on Pretty much all of those points there. I do wonder about the, the wider public. But if you're someone who's hardcore enough to listen to this podcast, I would say give it a go. And uh, I believe, as, as Dale said in the interview there, the, the film's going to be available in limited release in cinemas later this year. So, yeah, I think, yeah, it was I the think festivals
1: uh, they're looking to get it uh, at first of all, um, Sheffield DocFest. Fest. I think it was going to be debuting day- mm-hmm. at, did he say? In, I think it's June. I think it's June. They're looking to get Sheffield DocFest, Fest and then looking for submission uh, to be accepted. Um, submission-wise, uh, from the other festivals that they've entered. Then I think they were looking for some form of release following that. Does that mean we can get Martin Bushby to do a kind of live report from the Sheffield Dog Fest then? Oh, yeah, perhaps you can get um, press passes. Martin, if you're listening, get in there, pal.
0: It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that pretty much brings us to the end of a very uh, progress-centric show. Uh, anything else before we go, guys?
1: yeah i just wanted to mention one last thing a friend of mine uh, mark hitchcock who worked for high spots unfortunately died um in kind of tragic circumstances last week which mm-hmm. i won't go into uh, mark was only 36 and he was a massive wrestling fan like he traveled the world to watch wrestling um i only met mark probably five or six times but in the time i spent with him he was a top bloke and had yeah. some really good times both in the u.s we did a, a loop of Evolve, uh, shows. We did a triple shot, which meant I got to see loads of Florida, little places like, well, places like Jacksonville, which I've never been to. And we got to watch shows in, uh, at the back of a venue in Jacksonville because they couldn't fit the ring into the bar. So I ended up watching a show in the most bizarre setting I've ever seen. Some of the pictures from that show are amazing. <laughs> I've got to say, seeing a ricochet wrestling Drew McIntyre in like someone's, in like the backyard of a bar that all this graffiti everywhere and taking him with mark as well was amazing um yeah. i also got to go to a couple of shows over here he came to the super strong style weekend a couple mm. of years ago and was really good company jp and my brother got to meet him that weekend yeah. um and i also went to a show in portsmouth with mark so the last time i would have seen mark was in a Weatherspoons in portsmouth so it seems like mm-hmm. a strange last place to to hang out but we had a great time and yeah it's really sad that he's passed away and I'm gutted to be honest Um, he was getting married in May so it's not good to end this on a sour note but yeah I'm thinking of his fiance and all of his friends as well and it's going to suck that he's not going to be in New Orleans this year for WrestleMania weekend
0: We'll, uh definitely echo your thoughts and send uh, love to his friends and family. I mean, so many of our mutual friends that that, that, I, that we all know. I've seen people come out, uh, people in the industry like Chris Hero. I've seen on Twitter come out and uh, yeah, Mel well, well.
1: I think paid tribute to him and rest ever ready. The Young Bucks say something as well. Yeah, the Young Bucks wow. say
0: something as well. Oh, really far reaching. It just don't realize how small the the wrestling world is sometimes. But yeah, definitely our our thoughts and prayers out to to all those people. Um, before we go then uh, where can the people find you guys on Twitter
1: uh, Lemsip 4Ps JPGP 3Es
0: you can find me on Twitter at Benson Richard E we'll be back next week as we're all off to Germany this weekend I uh, will be back with a podcast covering all of the events there so stay tuned to theindycorner.com. follow theindycorner or at theindycorner on Twitter and we'll be back
1: next week Auf Zayn
0: Bye To the Oscars, yes. No, I won't, I'm not going to bother.
1: I, I never like award ceremonies.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. the only one I've watched was when I was at yours before we went to Berlin. Yeah, was just on at the back, and in the
1: background, watching the Baftas. Since the Brits in the '90s, award ceremonies have lost all their charm for me. Where's Mick Fleetwood <laughs> when you need him? That was the '80s, <laughs> wasn't it? <he>, that one. <laughs> I remember that. Like, I'm in
2: Sam have being a fucking disaster. I was getting more at like uh, Jarvis
1: Cocker fucking off Michael Jackson.
2: <gasps> oh God. But while being arrested and using Bob Mortimer who's a trained solicitor as his as his oh, solicitor okay. when he goes to prison yeah. and he sees some high powered lawyers. And Bob Mortimer goes, Mate, I think you're on your own here Do
0: you remember that that being like the biggest story going when I was a kid? Oh,
2: it was awesome. Happy days.